console. My name is Caleb Dillon with White Metal Games. And I'm Phil Corman with Brushwork Minis. And I'm Valentin Malik with White Metal Games. And uh, I always feel like you always struggle to figure out what to say there. Yeah, <laughs> I am. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of... <laughs> and uh, War Council is a hobby-centered podcast for miniature enthusiasts. This is episode 35, Back from Nova Open. Um, it feels like it's been a long time since we've podcasted. And in, in fact, it, it has. has. It has. It's actually been closer to like three weeks. Part of yeah. that is the week before Nova, we were supposed to podcast, but we took the week off to mm-hmm. prep. Uh, and then um, the week after Nova, basically, we had commissions lined up, so we had to kind of come back and get right back to work. Yeah, it's yep. been actually two cra- crazy two weeks. Yeah, really, really busy. Yeah. Um, but today's episode, we're going to be talking about Nova. We're going to be talking about um, what we thought of the event, what we thought of the, the just the whole show in general, um, our favorite moments from the show, uh, people we met, things we did, uh, part you know things we partook of, classes, all that kind of fun stuff. Uh, we're going to give you guys kind of the virtual experience of what Nova was, so that way, if you want to go in the future, you can, and you'll know what to expect. Um, before we get into that, though, uh, I'm just going to, as a brief, brief note, um, I want to thank all of our new podcast clients. Um, so we, we're starting to see some of you guys are contacting us through our, our website, White Metal Games. Um, and for those of you who are interested, you can contact us at info at whitemetalgames.com. I am offering an introductory 3% labor discount on all of your projects for podcast clients, um, with the um, with the exception that you have to leave us a review on iTunes. So leave us a review, let us know the review you left us, and we'll be happy to knock 3% off your first commission with us. Now normally, that's not a discount you can apply for, but in this case, we certainly help think you, you, we appreciate your help with all of the promotion of the podcast. We want to extend that back to you. Um, we've got a towel project coming up um, I'm working on uh, that's actually from one of our podcast listeners. So he knows who he is. Thank you very much. Um, but for you guys out there who are thinking about booking, contact us at info at whitemetalgames.com. And I also wanted to put this out there. If you're a client that has reached out to us and you've decided not to book a project with us, it's 100% totally okay. There's no harm in that, no loss in that. The only thing I would ask is if you are doing that, please reach back out to us and let us know why you decided not to book with us. Let us know if it was price. Let us know if you found a friend that was going to do it. Let us know if, hey, you know what? My wife found out about it. I just didn't have the money that month. That's okay, too. But if you don't tell us why you decided not to book, we really can't improve our process. We can't make it any better for future clients. And, and essentially, it, it, it doesn't tell me what we're doing wrong. So for all the clients that are booking with us, thank you very much. For those that were thinking about it and you decided not to, maybe send me an email or a message. Let me know why. Um, and, and maybe we can figure out what it was about our style of conversion or quoting that you didn't like. And maybe we can work on that. Um, so for all you non-converted clients out there, send me an email, info at whatmetalgames.com. No harm, no foul, but I'd love to work and improve the process. We're always looking to improve things moving forward here at the studio. Um, okay, we're going to take a quick second break, and we'll be right back in with On the Painting Desk uh, right after this. Hey guys, PD Pop here from Frontline Gaming. Are you tired of playing tabletop games on the same old foldable table? Do you have to lug around a bulky Roma Battle table terrain set? Looking for a gaming mat to match the theme of your army and wow your friends? Then look no further than the Frontline Gaming and Table Warp Fat Mat series. Our fat mats are durable, waterproof, and come in 6x4 foot, 4x4 foot, and 3x3 foot sizes. With over 25 different images to choose from, we have a fat mat for every tabletop game. Get yours today at FrontlineGaming.org. Hey guys, welcome back. 
We're going to jump into On the Painting Desk. This segment of the show is sponsored by Frontline Gaming, frontlinegaming.org. They are your source for ITC. Uh, That is uh, all tournament wargaming stuff on the West Coast, all the way out to the LVO, the Las Vegas Open. I feel like tournament season is winding down now. Am I right, or are they in the midpoint? I, ha- I feel like it's a year-round thing. So really? There really is no midpoint. Oh, okay. well, there's for the ITC, there's an actual ranking yeah, period. Sure. So that, obviously, I think it's year-round. I always think that the tournaments are seasonal, like baseball. Like, it's a summer thing. Yeah. You know? I Maybe not. Because I guess yeah. I think about that because Adepticon's in the summer. Nova's in the end of the summer. Well, Adepticon's um, in March. Oh, that's true. That's about, like the start of the season. Nova and LVA's like in November, I think. So uh, it's pretty much year-round. That's I mean, true. All right. Well, that's good. Well, that's even better than that because that means if you're booking a tournament anytime during the year, mm-hmm. talk to Frontline Gaming and they'll hook you up with all of the credentials on how to get your tournament off the ground floor, how to yeah. get your GT rocking. So thank you guys for sponsoring this segment. Um, so we're going to talk about what we're painting on currently. So guys, what are you painting on currently? Because now you guys are teaming up. You're, you're doing projects yep. together. You've yep. combined forces, much like uh, much like Transformers. You form a, yep. a greater model burp, together. Burp, 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 burp. I would n- I would never have actually uh, used that reference. Well, I just yeah, finished up yeah. this, this this Transformer. Yeah, you're kind, you're kind of not out of it. Head, you're kind so. of not out of All right, it. Well, why don't you tell people what are you guys painting these days? Uh, well, I mean, we got Go. two two big projects going on right now. Um, so both of these are full armies along with a display board. Um, so these are two different clients, um, and basically we are in the process of building um yeah it's actually something new that we're we're uh, just starting to kick off the display board uh killed yeah and a lot of so display boards now we just got back from nova and there were a ton of display boards yeah. there. Uh, now without calling anybody out what would you how would you what do you think about the display boards we saw at the event like in general in general i mean they were your pretty average i guess basic yeah Display boards, yeah. yeah. They didn't have a lot of uh, terrain necessarily. Usually it was just ways to make, you know, maybe a little bit of a This is more just of a backdrop. Now, there was that's right. one of the most um, elaborate ones that I saw was uh, the uh, Forge World Encampment. Actually, somebody had that kit out. Uh, there was also the crashed uh, Thunderhawk board. I did see that one. Saw, yeah, that, yeah. Was, that was pretty good. But, again, it was there wasn't a lot of... Um, and I am going to be kind of critical here because sure. it's my kind of bread and butter. You know, yeah, I yeah. love this stuff, sure. all the cinematics and stuff. So uh, I didn't really see a lot of um, uh, like creative ways of doing it. Now, people, people were just getting them so they're, you know, they can make a presence. It's a backdrop. That's, that's about it. On top of that, at a lot of these things, and I can't say whether Nova was this way or not because I didn't really read the rules of the tournament, but a lot of those things you lose points if you don't display in some way. Really? Uh, yeah, there, there's like a, you get a bonus score or you get bonus points if you do. Yeah. So a lot of those guys will, will sort of like not to be rude, but they'll slap something together. And yeah, they kind of feel pressured into it just right. so they're not hurting the team now, overall. Now, I, I do give them credit for that. And in, in all of those cases, you know, I applaud them for their work. But I didn't see, you know, there was only a few that I thought were really good. Mm-hmm. Um, there was one that was a towel client. He had one that was like, um, it was full of LEDs everywhere. And his whole army had LEDs, to be clear. Yeah. But he had, it was like the inside of a ship or something. The LEDs were strobing and moving, and it was really inventive. Uh, but that was the exception, not the rule. Yeah. It was the I rare that army that did actually. that. No? I saw an you LED. I, I didn't, well, I may have. I just may not have grabbed my well, attention. Well, the other thing about his army was all of his, all of his suits were LED'd as well. 
I thought I feel like it was the Eldar, not the Tau. Well, there was a lot of LED projects at that tournament. There were yeah. a ton of them, and that was something that was interesting that we can we can talk about real briefly is that we added an LED service uh, about two months ago, and we're starting to see a few of those clients roll in. But um, awesome. essentially, like I was blown away by how many LEDs were there. Yeah, um, and I, I think that part of that is because powered powered play gaming, which is a vendor. They have made LEDs much more accessible to the general gaming population. They have what they call the plug-and-play system now, yeah. which is essentially like it's an LED. You plug the battery into the end. You don't have to wire it. No soldering. Yeah. The, a little while ago, there was a huge castle. Yeah. Uh, only people that actually dwelled a lot of it into those kind of uh, projects actually were able to pull it off. Sure. Right now, it is becoming more accessible, and we're so seeing of that, more we're and seeing more of more. that. Yeah. yeah. I'd love to see more and more LEDs. Uh, actually, I'd love to see a project when somebody books us, us for a display board, you know, the, the top level that yeah. we're doing right now with an LED. That'll be quite I mean, a challenge. The biggest problem with LEDs is space. Like, you have to yeah. bore into the model. Smaller models, it's, it's clever placement. It's got to be clever, clever yeah. play, uh, placement and layout. One of the most clever ideas I saw at the, at the GT was, um, was people would do LEDs inside of their models so that the light would spill out through, like, cracks or, like, yeah. like the towel suits. It was almost like the light was inside of them. And it would kind of pour out through openings in the suit, which was, in my opinion, really brilliant. Yeah. It looked really great. Right. It wasn't like an LED on the side of it that was blinding you. Because mm-hmm. with some of those guys, those LEDs were so in your face, like, I actually thought so it was distracting. distracting. Yeah. Yeah. It's... Like, I was, if I was going to play against those armies, I would be like, hey, man, can you turn that off? Yeah. <laughs> I can't see shit. Like, <laughs> um, But that being said, so the, so the boards were lacking. So we're, we're learning now that there is, there is room for boards to be manufactured at a higher echelon where people expect more i mean essentially you pay all this money for an army yeah and then you put it in a bag like in essence yes yeah Yeah. i mean so the our point is we're doing these display boards to point out that like like val said these are cinematic boards they're meant to you know expand on the project to showcase what the project is to give you like a maison sin of what the project exists to be with the krieg with the krieg board the Krieg are from a burned-out, nuclear fallout-style world. Every part of that explanation begs a board. Oh, yeah, like absolutely. It just it begs a board. You can't really tell that story through just the bases no. of the miniatures on the 25 mils. You can't. You just can't do it. So you guys are working on that one, which is, by the way, looking really great. Uh, and then there's the Seraphon board. Tell, talk a little bit about that one. Um, yeah, so Seraphon, the new Lizardman. <laughs> Um, I actually I like Seraphon. Yeah, I can't, I can't stand it. Yeah. Some of the stuff it. I can't like. It's taken me a while to get into the new names. Yeah. Um, like I've learned. I picked up the death um, the death book the other day for the Age of Sigmar, and now that I'm understanding their mentality, I'm starting to get the names. Mm-hmm. But no, it's confusing. I, it is. Yeah. Confusing. I don't know. To me, it's Lizardmen and Lizardmen. Okay. Know. So well, in this case, board. it should be Lizardmen because it is actually based on the fantasy time period. Right. So it's not Age of Sigmar at all. So right. everything uh, we're building is based off of the original. Um, terrain that they're from. So they're from the jungles of Lestria. So we're going with that temple theme, that deep jungle, big trees type thing, um, with a hint of Skaven, actually. So yeah, we're so the, in. in this case, the client, and this is not uncommon, clients in these gaming clubs, they have regular people they play against, friends. And in this case, he has a favorite client that plays Skaven. So it's kind of like a little bit of a rub. Like, he, you know, he's saying like, ha, 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 we've killed yep. your guys. Uh, and in this case, he was very specific. He wanted it to look like Skaven had taken the city and the Lizardmen were taking it back. Like yep. they had reclaimed their homeland, which is 
it's a pretty cool theme. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, just to look at the board, you know, it's it's kind of massive. Like, oh, is yeah. the best way to oh, put yeah. it. Yeah. Like, when you think of a temple, like when you look at like a temple, like uh, most of the time. It's like four or five inches high. Yeah, it's not really the, on the box really of this little, those lizard one. There was yeah. like this foam cut out. It's more for terrain, and that's because people like wanted to play with them as gaming pieces. This feels like a temple. Yeah, like, we're going to walk town up with to the it. Blots out the yeah. sun temple. Yeah, right? we're going to town with the proportions. Yeah. I really wanted to get that Mayan ziggurat feel to yeah. it. Uh, so we're kind of introducing a lot of that design aesthetic. When you think about a society where dinosaurs were their beasts of burden, they would have big buildings. Oh, yeah. Like their stables should be the size of like a small castle. And that's actually something we were talking about. Yeah. Like when we were trying to figure yeah. out, okay, how big should these blocks be? We're like, well, let's see. Uh, Stegodon when you have a Stegodon big, moving yeah, block. Yeah, it could probably right. yeah. Yeah, move a block yeah. about this size. So. And that's so and I, I like that you guys think about that when you're putting the board together. Oh, it you, shows you got to, you got to, because otherwise it's just, like I said, there's a way to design this. Let's say when concept artists and film, when they go into design, let's say, a ship, they're not just thinking, okay, what is it going to be cool? They have to put, there's got to be... Uh, design architectural technological aesthetic that has to make sense and that's how you get that extra detail that's how you get that extra believability and that presence and that's what you got to think about sure so that's what we're trying to do with this i think it's going to be actually it's got to it's going to make a presence so yeah um we're looking forward to building those uh, bob bob trees. I think they're going to create a very good. Now, because I didn't know this at first, um, maybe explain to people what the hell a bob bob tree is. Oh, a bob bob tree. Uh, think of your uh, Amazon rainforest. Those sure. really huge, uh, huge diameter rainforest trees. They're you. Uh, bob bob is a type of that tree. Okay. So it's okay. very specific in form. It's very specific in proportion. So that's what we're going to try to do. Um, it's going to be pain in the ass, but. I think it's going to make the whole scene just, you know, that more top-notch. Yeah, I, I, I absolutely cannot speak highly about this. I mean, I think you guys are doing some really good work on it. And I think that more importantly, um, I think that when people think about display boards and we start to talk about these massive, uh, you know, these, these scenes, um, I think the thing to consider is that you think at first that it's going to take a lot of space up in your house. Mm-hmm. But one of the more clever things that we've been doing is that the boards are really, they have a, a very narrow footprint. They're about two by two. So they're not going to take up too much space in your house. You can comfortably put them on a side table or a card table or in your favorite hobby room, your man cave or whatever. Um, and they're really built to make efficient use of the space. Like yeah. one of the things you guys have been doing is you've been meticulously planning them out from first sketch art and then top-down views using graphics to make sure that every model has a home. Uh, And essentially what that allows you to do is when you go into the building, you just take that design you've worked really hard on and then you translate it directly into materials. Yeah. Um, So essentially it's a very efficient use of the space that you have available. And the the board is built to that army specifically. Yes. Every model has a home. um, You know, It's going to be slotted. Exactly. Position of the each units, each characters are going to be cinematically placed, so right. they're making the most presence. Yeah. Um, so um, now we don't have a service page for this yet, uh, but if you are thinking about adding a display board to your um, arsenal in the near future, contact us at info@whitemetalgames.com. Let us know what you're thinking about. Um, we are currently booking for late fall, early um, early winter at this point. We'll be happy to talk with you about your project and sort of um, you know help you conceptualize the best fit for your army. 
Um, and we'd love to book you for the holidays. If you're thinking about next year's tournament season, or apparently they're all year round, so even this mm-hmm. tournament season, mm-hmm. um, we can start to, to work on that this winter, and we can have you something by the early, early 2017, so you'll be ready to rock next year. Uh, well, aside from the display boards, there's actually armies going with those projects, too. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> as excited as we are about the boards, uh, there's also some really cool armies with them. So um, why don't we talk about a little bit of what's going into those. I know you guys have been working sure. on test models this week. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So for the Krieg, it's, um, it's a Death Court Krieg army, so there's about it's actually 30 not, units. not that big. Not it's that not big. Huge. Well, point-wise, it is pretty sizable. So it is yeah. three knights. Right. Um, we've got four Chimeras and a Hellhound, mm-hmm. and then about... Uh, I think roughly it's, 40 troops, if you include the quartermaster that's like, true. and the command groups yeah, and yeah. all that. So, so not a huge army, but it's, it's, it, is a, it is a competitive list, mm-hmm. I would say, Quite. for sure. Yeah. And it's perfect for this display board, too. It fits yeah. very well into that scene. So that's yeah, relatively medium, small size. And then the Seraphim is quite large, actually. Um, yeah, that's, that's a big. That's a big army. It's about a hundred models, almost maybe nine. I would say that's 90, fair. And four there. big dinosaurs, mm-hmm. like a Carnosaur, a Troglodon, a Stegodon, a Bastilodon, plus a Slon priest, his Saurus guard, yep. plus Saurus warriors, plus Skinks. It's a big army. And there's Skinks just decorated on right. models and places too. Yeah, so that's the nice thing about the big models is that every single one of those has a scenic base. They all mm-hmm. have like a dioramic element to them. Um, yeah. So each one of those is in, in itself kind of a, a display piece. And then on top of that, you're going to stack those on a display board. So it's just going to be a really, really nice to look at that. That's going to mm-hmm. be a, a killer project, which is partially why it's a big project. It, yeah. it takes a long time to do that kind of level of service. There's going to be a lot of, um, I actually, there's going to be a lot of work actually making everything work. Yeah. It's not just a matter of, uh, it's never a matter of just building one thing and right. then, you know, you can move on and build another. you got to work the whole thing together, let's yeah. say with the Krieg, we're constantly, we already have the models built, we're constantly checking as right. we're planning and building them. Right. Are, are they getting the presence? Are they, get, are they getting noticed? Are they getting seen? The Seraphon, um, there, there you go. I guide on you guys. See? Thank you, thank See? you for that. Thank You're you. Starting to Lizardman, Lizardman, uh-huh. Lizardman. Um, there, that's going to be more of a challenge because it is a jungle. You know, yeah. there's got a lot of foliage, plus the colors that the client picked out. They're kind of already blending in, so it's going to be a challenge to make them offset, to make them seeable, and you know just how much are the models going to take, and how much of that foliage that's going to be going around, plus the scaven layer. You know that's going to be another thing. Sure. So it's constantly build check sometimes actually might not seem like we're making a lot of progress on that because we're going to be constantly progress shaking. Is, progress it's, can be slow. It's, uh, it's, it's kind of harder to show that. You know, just taking a couple of snapshots. Oh, we did this today. We did this today. No, it's you know, it's kind of more fluent. So it's a quite different building process and approaching well, the, the thing that people, I think that the thing that people don't understand at first is that a display board is not terrain on a piece of wood. No, it's no, a, it it's, a, it's a, it's it's more like um, a painting with miniatures. Yeah, where yeah. you've kind of like captured this one moment in time. And every single model on that board has a home. Whereas if he called us next week and he's like, hey, I want to add a, a biker to this. No. They'd be like, that'd be a pain. That'd be huge. That'd be yeah. a huge problem. Because that would literally ruin the, the aesthetic. Like this, yeah. is a, this is a moment. This is a, this is a 
this board is made for this army only. Yeah. Period. Yeah. It won't work with another army. It won't work with another model in this case. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's how specific we're getting with these builds. And the whole point of that is so that you display that army exactly the way it's intended to be. Yeah. Um, and that meticulous is something that I think that people will appreciate when they see. Yeah, hopefully, um, yeah. yeah I'm hopefully the clients are going to be blown away by this because there's like a lot of, that's going to go into it. I don't think the I haven't seen a lot of projects like this done. No, so I, I mean, think this is going to make a presence. I at, think at studio be a good level, presence. I've seen some studios do this, but it's rare. Um, it certainly has not been the bread and butter of a lot of these studios, and I, I, I'm, I'm very eager to speak with other clients who are interested in this. So follow our work in progress on our Facebook page and our Flickr gallery. Let us know what you think about it, and if you're interested in booking a display board for yourself, contact us at info at whitemetalgames.com. We'll be happy to speak with you about it um, and, and sort of you know help you through the process. Um, well, let's see. Dennis has just finished up his version of Silver Tower. Um, so that is going to be um, up on the Flickr gallery right now. You can check that out. Cool. Speaking of, we just hired a social media assistant. He's helping us out a couple days a week. And so finally, we've, we finished up all the backlog on our photos. So now we have every photo that we've done over the last year is finally up. There's about 550 independent portfolios on our website alone. Not to mention, our Flickr Crazy. gallery is now pushing 11,000 photos. Oh, my God. Um, so there's, if, if you're asking if there's samples... Yes, there are. There's plenty of things for you guys to look at. We also have our new gallery listings under our painting galleries. So you go to the website and then go to galleries. You'll be able to find samples of all of our work there. They're all updated for you. Um, So be sure to check it out. Everything's tagged. It's really easy to navigate. If you can't find what you're looking for, let us know. We've probably painted something like it. And we'll be happy to show you an example of that. Uh, for me, I just finished up um, the Talonar um, Devastator project. That just got wrapped up. The Talon Green got finished up. The uh, Blood Knights got finished up as soon as we came back, Guardians of the Covenant. By the way, all of those clients were super pleased with all the work right. we did. The Blood Knights, to remind our clients, was basically a Blood Angels, Black Templars, Dark Angels mock-up army uh, with a lot of freehand. You guys yeah. spent a long, literally a long night burning the oil doing freehand right. on that army. Um, but they were overjoyed. He's already he's already reached out to us about a secondary project. That's awesome. Um, uh, on the tail end of those, uh, I finished up the looted Arachnarok. Uh, that project went really really well. It looked it really looked great. great. Yeah. It's a cool model. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, it was a lot of fun. And what I like about that is that the client was really open minded about our ideas. We're finding that our clients are getting more and more open minded. We've talked about this on the show before that in the past people have been asking us to copy other people's work. Yeah. Now yeah. we're starting to see people so, asking us for our ideas. Hey, what do you want to do with that? And in so fact, awesome. I had something like this the other day where I did a, a walled wrath for Circle Ouroboros, okay. and I was looking to see what other people had done. So I hit all the regular sources. I looked for Den, I looked for Awakened Realms. I couldn't find examples of what they had done. And I had this funny moment in time where I was like, they haven't done it. We're doing yeah. it. Like we're we are we are doing the first, the first one of these. Yeah. Not to say that we're the first studios that done that. Of course, that's silly. But what I mean is, in my immediate peer and competitors, I was like, they either haven't published it or they haven't done it. And that was like kind of a moment of pride for me. It made me feel like we're moving in the new territory. It's awesome. I mean, since we did the plat, since we did the Townar model, um, we just finished up that one. We've had two other requests for Townar. So clearly, like people like the work we're doing, uh, and they want to see us do more of it, and they want. I think to allow us more creative freedom because now they can see what we can do. 
So it's, it's great, it's great, it's great right? development. Yeah. Yeah. We really appreciate your guys' trust. We really appreciate you guys letting us having some creative control. We promise you with creative control, you will get great results. Um, and that's what the entire point of the Radio Silent special. That's what it was designed for. A little bit of trust goes a long way. Uh, and you will be happy with the final results on that. We got actually a good request for Radio Silence a couple of times, we, right? We did, but then um, the guy changed. And we did, but then he booked the Chaos Dwarf Army that I'm working on now. Okay. So originally okay. he was going to do this army with Radio Control, and then yeah, he was like, actually... Said, no, I, I want to change my yeah. mind. I better, let's do yeah. this. But that's going to be a really cool project. I mean, I haven't done a lot of Chaos Dwarfs uh, recently. I've nobody, never nobody done Chaos had. Dwarfs. No, yeah. no, I mean, I oh, haven't in seen in general. So that's really awesome. That's it's going to be beautiful, beautiful meanies. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's going to be a joy. It's mostly like Forge World, right? All Forge World. All Forge World. The there only, we go. We're finally only... in that territory, guys. Yeah. You know, uh, if you follow different painting studios, you've probably seen these crazy projects where they have all Forge World armies. Well, now, White Metals Games uh, joined the fray. We've got one. It's awesome. The only model that's not Forge World is the big Kadai Destroyer wannabe. He's not called that. He's called like an Infernal Golem from Titan Forge. Okay. Um, which, they're actually a great little company. If you haven't checked them out, we're starting to use more and more of these vendors. Um, for example, we've got a... Um, um, we're just looking at all these different guys. Like, for example, on the, the um, Creek Project, the shotguns we're using that are from a company called Anvil Industries, mm-hmm. uh, based in the UK, and they have some great bits out there. Yeah. Um, on top of that, like, there's just a lot of great bits providers out there we've been talking with, and they've got some great product. So if you're looking for a way to individualize your project, maybe you're thinking about doing like a Night Lord's Army or something like that, we'd love to talk to you about individual bits that we have access to that can really make your army stand out on the table, really pop. Um, so talk to us about that email us at info at whitemetalgames.com we'd love to talk about ways to make your army stand out from everybody else's army um, let's see if there's anything else I'm painting on my desk right now um, I think the only other project I'll, I'll mention is I'm working on some um, some Signar models for another client we've got our first Scar brand model coming through the studio right now we're working on him cool. um, and we've got um, some Bretonians that came out oh out of left god. field uh, <laughs> oh my god <laughs> the only the fun thing about <laughs> yeah I know so uh, Val is laughing because uh, Bretonians are traditionally uh, they're they're a challenge. I would say is the best way to put it. I um, would not put it as mildly. Uh, yeah. Bretonians to me they're all they're fluff wise they're peacocks. Okay, yeah. every night's got to be different, yeah. and you can't. There's just no conversion line process painting you can employ with them, mm-hmm. and I don't know. Sure. I had to work on Bretonians uh, one time, and this was a project actually hilarious. It was on in the studio. For, I want to say like a year and a half, and it still hasn't been done. It was like, I want to say either 18 or 24 Bretonians. Oh, my God. So, I am not envying right now, dude. Yeah, well, yeah. the only thing I'll and, and I, I know exactly what you mean, because the idea with Bretonians is that every night is a private night. Like, yeah, right. Exactly, so, exactly. each one of them has their own heraldry, each yeah, one has their own colors. iconography, their own colors. And you're not wrong. Uh, that is absolutely true. But what I liked about this is that even though Bretonians are out of stock... There's enough product out there on the secondhand market that we can still do commissions for these out-of-production models. Yeah. So if you guys do have a Bretonian army and you think that there's no longer support for it, not entirely true. The secondhand market is full of these guys. So um, just because your army is out of production doesn't mean we can't do it. If you are a Bretonian player and you're wondering about that, I'm not going to lie to you. If you're getting first, if you're getting product originally still new on Sprue, it's expensive. Um, this box of models cost about twice what it did when it was retail. Really? Yeah, it was not oh cheap. My goodness. But for clients that are truest that want their army to be the or actual original models, it is still an option. 
I think there's still a, time. <laughs> I think this is actually a great uh, opportunity because you know you're getting more into that sentimental feel. You know, yeah. every, you guys that have the Bretonian army, you know, it's not going to be out anymore. You can't get them. Sure. I, great time to just go ahead send us send us the project we'll give it we'll show them the do love make maybe even a display board for them because that army is not going to be available right Right. now it is becoming and i think it will become more and more a collector's army i agree so give it due process guys and just because it's on the secondhand market or used doesn't mean it can't be stripped down cleaned up redone Um, a lot of those models we've had a lot of experience with stripping models on this last black black and red space marine army we did which the guys painted in six days oh my goodness six days from start to end um that army was actually a refurbished army a lot of those models were stripped down and to look at the final product you would have never known like yeah. you would never look at that army and think it was secondhand. We can do amazing things with you know with just a little elbow grease. Um, so just because it's a secondhand model doesn't mean it can't see a second life. It can be oh, a, it can be revisited. Definitely. We actually met the uh, client at Nova. Yeah, the, we did for the two armies. Um, we certainly won't name him on the podcast, but we will say that he was really uh, enthusiastic. It was yeah. really nice. Uh, we so rarely get to see our clients face to face. It was actually awesome to yeah. actually have yeah. to talk to him, have the ability, and he was really grateful again. Super nice guy. Yeah, uh, it was just an awesome experience to have the guy talking there. Actually, we met a couple of clients. There. We met two. One of them. One of our clients. Had a, one of our tile clients was there and he was competing and his yeah. army did very well I think it in fact placed third in his category for painting really? so it did really really well awesome. um, and um, the other client's army um, I think he, he just had a good he wasn't using the space marine army um, but we, he was using his Tau army that we had also painted up. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, he was great. He was super enthusiastic. We love that. We love meeting clients in person because it's, you know, it's I, a personal connection that yeah. you feel, you know, it's just I not mean, that just, we may trade a hundred emails, emails with a client before their project is done more in some cases. Uh, and, and now with Skype being an option for communication, we can see them face to face. Um, but, uh, essentially most of the time these days, people still do email by, you know, email, Facebook, whatever messaging. Yeah. Um, we're starting to see Facebook clients now, which is interesting. Like, That's I have to check messages. but uh, Okay. Well, we're going to take a quick break. And when we jump back in, we're going to talk about our service spotlight and our new painting page. And we'll be right back after this. My name's Caleb. I'm here with... Sawyer Philbrick. Sawyer Philbrick, where are you based out, Sawyer? Uh, Milford, New Hampshire. Awesome. And you're here at Nova. Yep. What are you playing here at Nova today? Uh, I'm playing Unending Host with Renegade Knights. Very, very cool. So how's it been going? Uh, it's been going pretty good. First big event, so I'm having a pretty. Uh, it's been a pretty swell time. Okay, so this is your yeah. first like big convention you've gone to. Yeah. Have you tried smaller conventions, or is this your first convention? Uh, in general? I think this is my first convention in general. Yeah. So what's your impression of a convention like? And by the way, this is a big one. It's pretty big. So what's your opinion of it so far? I really liked it. I'm definitely going to come back next year. It's awesome. a lot of lists that I'm not used to facing. Yeah. So I, I so really. So as a competitive myself. player, it's been a challenge. Yeah. Yeah. Sure, a sure, real sure. Real big challenge. But as a but as a fun as an event like with all the vendors that kind of stuff, meeting new people. Oh yeah. Like no, that? it's great. I haven't met anyone I haven't liked yet. So, so people. Have yeah, been people are pretty great. So even when you lose, they're 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 nice people, nice losers. Yeah. You know, they're not they're not rubbing it in your yep. face. Gracious in victory and humble in defeat. There you go. Very very good. Um, is there anything you think you'd like to see next year when you come back? Other events you'd like to try out? Things you uh, have time for? I definitely want to do the 30K event next year. Okay. Yep. Uh, so Looking to get into that. Yeah. Awesome. I have a big army, so I'm going to use okay. it. Well, you couldn't play both, I guess. No. Yeah, yeah, you gotta yeah. got to pick, sadly. Very, very cool. All right. Well, thank you for your time. I appreciate it. Hey, guys. Welcome back. We're going to jump into Service Spotlight. 
Um, on this part of the show, we like to talk about new services we're offering. Um, you'd think we we're going to talk about display boards with as much as we talk about it in on the painting desk, but we're not. Um, display boards will be forthcoming in the next month or two. Uh, but for the time being, we have just recently revamped our painting page, and I wanted to go over some of those changes to kind of give you guys the, the highs and the high points. So essentially, a couple of first things. Um, board games are now in their own separate category. And for sake of argument, we consider a board game anything that requires no assembly, solid cast only. Um, so this applies to a lot of projects, but not every project. If it does require some assembly, like RPG figures, those have been bumped down to characters in the regular page, um, which is the main, main bread and butter of the page, the um, RPG war game chart, which is lower on the page. Um, platinum now has an official pricing level. It's 50% more than gold. So we made that decision as a studio to make that level more accessible. So as before, it was by request. Um, now Platinum has a solid price point. We can easily tell you what it's going to run for Platinum. The gallery is fully accessible through the painting gallery, so you can easily see sample projects for Platinum, and you can quickly decide whether or not that price point is right for you. We recommend that for solo figures, high-end models, high-end units. It's not meant for your bread-and-butter shock troop. Um, but if you've got a display bust or a diorama, it's perfect for that. A single figure, it's great for that. Um, the new Talonar Supremacy Armor suit we just booked is platinum level. Yeah. Um, so that's going to be a killer. It's a perfect example of that. It's a huge model. Mm -hmm. yeah. It's a blank canvas. It's a great place to really embellish that model. So much ideas for the so many for, ideas. for the base itself can go there. It's just um, going to be crazy. So board games are 25% lower than our basic painting rates. So if you've got a, a zombie side game or a Kickstarter game you are a supporter of and you've been looking to get that thing painted up, now's a great time to do it. Um, and character rates are also 25% um, lower if the characters match the army in general. So, for example, let's say you have an Ultramarine's army and an Ultramarine's captain. We're going to take 25% off what we normally would charge for him on, as a standalone figure. Um, so we're trying to do this to be more competitive, to encourage people to book more and more characters. Because um, obviously, you know, an army needs a leader, um, and you shouldn't have to pay more than is a fair price for it. So this is our, our way of sort of saying thank you for the last couple of years worth of business. We want to give back to you a little bit. So characters now cheaper than they've ever been before. It's a great time to book a new project. So check out all those changes on the website. Go to white metal games slash services. Drill down to painting. You'll find all of our painting rates on that page. Links to galleries, uh, sample projects, the whole nine yards. If you have any questions about it, email me at info at whitemetalgames.com. I'll be happy to walk you through the page, talk to you over the phone. You know, we've, we can do commissions with you over the phone, quotes and requests. No problem at all. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. And when we get back in, we're going to talk about Nova. All things Nova. Uh, all of the questions that you didn't even know you wanted to know the answers to, but now you're going to get them anyway. And we'll be right back after this. I came for 30K events, so it's good to have those around. How, would you say that the difference, like, is this tournament kind of fully embraced? Because I see a lot of 40K tournaments. I don't see yeah, a lot no, of 30K this, tournaments. This feels like very 30K oriented. Yeah, really. does it feel very different than 40K? Like, if people are yeah. going for a different experience, will they get that? Yeah, because, it's, I mean, it's all, you look around and you see, you know, 90% of Space Marine armies, which yeah, yeah. is what's designed for. Sure, Marine on Marine. Yeah. Uh, do you, how do you like the Nova in general? Is this your first time at the event? Yeah, it is. Yeah? What do you think about it? It's good. Yeah? Have you compared it to I mean, other, like, cons, other kind of conventions? or? Not too much. I mean, no. I was here just really for the tournament part, and that's... Oh, okay. It's great. Yeah, Just cool. what I was looking for. Okay, great. Well, yeah. thanks very much. No problem. I appreciate your time. Hey, guys. Welcome back. We're going to jump into um, our uh, tips, tips on technique tonight. When I was designing, designing that segment name, I should have thought about how hard it was to say. <laughs> um, so, um, so yeah, we're going to talk about Nova. 
Um, now, for those of you that don't know, NOVA is, stands for it's um, Northern Virginia, obviously. It's a um, convention that happens every year, the largest wargaming convention, I would say, on the East Coast for wargaming, not for historical gaming or, or gaming in general, but for wargaming. Um, they, um, they're in Arlington, Virginia, which is in Crystal City, which is just outside of D.C., Yep. Uh, and the event itself was the first weekend of September, so right around Labor Day weekend. Mm-hmm. Uh, that it was actually the couple days before Labor Day. So you're probably off on vacation anyway. So if you're in that area, it's a perfect time to sit down. Um, so um, what were your guys first? First off, had you been to a convention before? Before you went to Nova, had you ever been to something like that? Um, I've been to things like Games Day in the past. Sure. So when they were uh, here in the U.S. years and years ago, um, but that's really the only experience I had previous to Nova. Okay. Um, so I was, I was pleasantly surprised. Um, I thought it was fantastic. So I, I don't know how much detail you want me to go into. No, I mean, <laughs> I, I, I think that essentially like, it's just kind of first impressions, you know, yeah. like I've been to, um, I don't know, four or five cons now. I've seen small mm-hmm. ones. I've seen big ones. Um, this is to be fair, the biggest one I've been to. Okay. Now it's not as big as like the big, big ones, like Adepticon right. and those right. kind of things. Um, Chicago games day, but it's for an East coast con, it's pretty big. Yeah, um, it was a I'm, bit deceiving too because I mean you you can see a couple floors of like there's booths set up and things, but yeah. until you actually go into like the back rooms and you see these huge rooms that have all these tables set up, I mean those it is much bigger than you would have initially thought. What's kind of neat about Nova was, and I, I didn't understand, I didn't fully appreciate this at first, but so you go into this hotel, it's a Crystal City Hilton in um, Arlington, and um, uh, you kind of descend down this escalator, and Nova has rented out like. Two or three floors. Three floors. Yeah. Three floors. So you almost, it's almost like descending into the con. Yeah. Because as soon as you come down, there's event tables, there's display tables, there's painted models, there's cases. And it's almost like you arrive, uh, basically, I think right at the vendor, or not the, the entry table, the sign-in table. Yeah. So it's like, it's like a front door almost, which is really well done, really well set up. Obviously, the hotel has a lot to do with that. But that entire first floor is all like, just painted displays. It's auctioned armies. It's um, it, it's like it's just great. Jumps you right into it. Yeah, right exactly. Diving into it. It's not like it's not like coming into a game store and kind of like oh, a little this, a little that. It's like the guys are there, and I've always I've always felt this about every business that the culture drifts down from the top. And within five minutes of arriving, we had badges. Um, Dewey, who was super nice, oh, yeah. walked us through the con end to end. Gave us the complete tour, yep. walked us to our table, showed us where we were going to be displaying. Um, we had one issue with no with no plug in. He solved that immediately. So they were just really great. They were super polite. Um, so I, I, I was blown away my first couple minutes there, and mm-hmm. it didn't really end there. I mean, obviously, it's like you said, it's huge. There's so many back rooms, yeah. like halls just swimming with people. You know. my pro- probably my favorite was the the 30k one it was sure. just, as soon as you walk in oh my god the whole thing is taken off you'd think not really that popular around you know being I the price point of Forge World, but my god as soon as you get in there you're getting these crazy armies just everything so you're diving exactly right into it as soon as you right as soon as you go down the elevator sure. you're logging in you got your badge, right? You have the uh, painting competition booth set up and some beautiful miniatures there. There's some nice, com- nice competitors there. And really nice pieces. You're going, actually, the probably the room that blew me off was the Central Convention Hall. That's where the uh, Age of Sigmar, Malifaux, the X-Wing, Lord of the Rings, everything. This huge space is just 
full of tables and yeah. Well, and to be fair, a con a con needs a space like that. It needs oh, yeah. it needs a central game room. But the thirty k room, it was kind of like you went through a curtain, sort of. Yeah. And it kind of walked you into this private annexed room that was. It just kept going. Yeah, it was it probably huge. like the length of like I don't know a football field or half a football field. It was at least a hundred yards. Yeah. Oh, at least. At yeah. least. And so, if you can imagine walking into this room where it's just literally you can't see the tables at the end. Because of how long this room is. Mm-hmm. So you couldn't see the guys gaming at one end from the other. That's how big this room was. Mm-hmm. Full of gamers end to end. And every single one of those tables had terrain. At one end there the hall there was narrative gaming where they're just having fun. Mm-hmm. Then there's the 30K tables. Huge number for 30K yeah. tables. And then the 40K tables. Huge number of 40K tables. Right. Like it just kept going. So I was really blown away. Like I think they told me there was something like hundred and 140, 150 competitors at that con. That's that awesome. doesn't sound like much, mm-hmm. but until you actually you were there, well, you, you can actually see 76 tables it. lined back to oh, back. Oh my goodness. Yeah. yeah, it's something else. It definitely <laughs> yeah. is. So. Um, so yeah, really, really impressive. And the nice thing about that place being kind of annexed and off on its own is you didn't have the screaming in the main hall, the echoing in that space. That space yeah. was way more muted. It was still loud, yeah. but it was easier to hear yourself over there. Um, and then, like you said, there's the main gaming hall with um, my big surprise was the number of Lord of the Rings tables yeah, there. Right? Like, I thought Lord of the Rings was dead, but no. apparently, apparently not. Apparently not. Now, to be fair, I think that, in my opinion, they had arguably the best tables of the event. I think so, too. Like, yeah. The terrain was awesome. They had like a smog board, like the, mm-hmm. uh, what, not smog, um, what was that, the city? Um, um, from the third movie, I can't think of the name of it right now. Goblin Town? No, the, or the, the, um, the, 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 the Lake Town? No, God, the stupid. They had Lake Town too. They had I Lake, didn't Town see Lake Town. I know but it was they, but they there. Also had, um, they had the, the, the city that the dwarves go to to retake their homeland. God, I, I'm losing geek points Erebor. here by the second. Erebor! Erebor! My goodness. They had, they had the mines of Erebor where it was all of the treasure troves, and it was literally just like seas of gold coins. With yeah. giant pillars. It was so great. It was an incredible board. Um, so the Lord of the Rings... Talking about game boards, yeah, guys. they had some great boards there. They had um, they had Minas Tirith. Uh, they had the, the, the White City was there. Mm-hmm. Um, it was just a killer board. So it wasn't just the latest iteration of the Lord of the Rings game. Just no, a it was Hobbit. all It was all, all the yeah, movies. Every, all, all the game the systems. Um, that was awesome. I have not seen that. There was still... There was also a huge number of Malifaux games there. That's the thing. I've... I've I've never seen that big of a presence here yeah. stateside for Malifaux because yeah. in Europe it's getting big. It's huge. They actually it's had something to push. It was and very this was actually awesome to see that. Yeah. They actually had some of the cooler boards too. Oh, yeah. They had like Wild West kind of boards like, you know, Dusty Town. We haven't dwelled into the fluff no, of Malifaux really. yet, but it's, it's actually It's kind of weird west, yeah. It's you can't put a pin on it. Yeah. It's not really Wild West. I don't know. It's there's yeah. just so much going on. It's just a, such vividly it's visually vivid setting, you know. Yeah, there's one of the one of the, awesome. I think my favorite board from the whole event though had to be they had a casino board. So it looked yeah. like a little casino. They had little slot machines for terrain. Wow. They had like tables. Yeah, there's so many tables there that if you don't really sit there and examine them and walk through, because I walked through the halls like four or five times, mm-hmm. and I saw something new every single time. Hmm. Uh, but yeah, so so lots. What did you think of the Star Destroyer? So, <laughs> what he, so what he's talking about, for those of you who aren't able to attend, there was, um, and in fact there was two. This is the funny two? thing. Two? Yeah. So there was oh, one was guy, so when you first come into the main game hall, there's a Star Destroyer that I would say is probably 10 to 12 feet long, I would guess. I would say more than more that. More than that? It okay. was more than it was, three meters. It was probably the size of a car. probably five meters yeah. or so. 
Now, they had put it together from a variety of materials like mat boards and, and foam and that sort of stuff. But it was pretty great, I thought, overall. As a display yeah. piece, it was really great. Mm-hmm. Um, what was so funny was that later on in the con, I saw this guy walking out with a Star Destroyer about the size of um, a yardstick under his arm. Okay. Now, that wow. could have been that it was the top of the Star Destroyer and he was taking it home. Or it could have been that he brought his smaller Star Destroyer okay. and he was intimidated by the bigger one and, and took it and left. <laughs> All right. You know. Time to go. Yeah. But <laughs> either, not going to make a present. Either way, uh, it was pretty cool. Uh, and I think the reason for this is they had a giant X-Wing presence at the event. I would say the X-Wing was probably maybe like 25% of that game room. Right. It yeah. was at least that. It now, and you consider the fact that X-Wing has only been on the market for like Three years? What is it? Just three years? Yeah, I don't, I think, it's, oh I don't think it's been longer than that. Oh um, so X-Wing has really taken off. Clearly, people like that style of game. Yeah. Um, so actually, I picked up an X-Wing model the other day to do a repaint on because there's a market for that. I want to see what people like about that. So if, cool. uh, if you're Definitely. interested in having X-Wing repaints done, let us know. Let us know. We'd love to, we'd love to talk to you about that. Uh, okay, so lots of gaming, obviously. Clearly, tons and tons of gaming. Um, what was um, what about the vendors? Let's talk about that because a lot of times people go just to shop. Yeah. In fact, people go in there just to just to buy stuff. Even if they don't play, they go just to shop for stuff. There was a huge amount of vendors in the floor where we were set up. Um, there was a huge rack of resellers for bits. Uh, there was a lot of bits vendors. There was a lot of people that were sending actually conversions. Second. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this guy, had, this guy was um, so they're a game store based out in Colorado. Okay, uh, and they were called. Um, oh, you know, it's funny. I've got it um, here in my notes, but um, oh, what were they called? Well, I don't have a name off the top of my head. But you're right. He had a huge. Essentially, he was a game store owner, and he he has been buying secondhand armies for twenty years. Twenty. And years so long. now, what he does is he buys armies secondhand. He breaks them out into into models and units, units yeah. and sells them individually. And like you said, his display was probably forty feet long. I would oh guess. yeah, at least. At um, least and huge. he had double stacked bins, and these are big bins. These are like the kind of bins you'd put like Christmas decorations in, or yeah, something so like, like eighty gallons. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, so they're huge. huge. And he had probably forty. I would guess. Like what would you say? I wouldn't even put a number on yeah. it. Just such overwhelming amount. You know what? Like stack like four stacks of them. Now people oh. were going through these bins like you'd go through. I don't even know what to think. Think of a second hand. Think of a yeah. thrift store. This it's was like a miniature. A this was a miniature thrift store, guys. Yeah. Okay, if uh, you know your Salvation Army for miniatures. Now he's traditionally he's traditionally a game store owner, but what he does is he travels to these cons and resells this stuff. I bought a tank off of him. I found a looted basilisk that I picked yeah. up for thirty bucks. It was great. And uh, what's even better is he says he goes to Adepticon every year and his display is twice that long. Oh, my God. He says sad. he has twice that much stuff. He says his display at Adepticon was 70 feet long. Wow. Oh, yeah. wow. And this is just one vendor. And there were at least a dozen vendors there. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things we saw a lot of was um, a lot of, like, game support aids is the best way to put it. Oh, yeah. 2D terrain, which is something new I'd never seen before. This mm-hmm. is essentially, like... I wouldn't say cloth. Cloth is the wrong word. It's like plastic or silicone injected terrain. It's like flat terrain. Mm-hmm. So it's colorful, uh, but it's not. It's meant to travel well. We saw the first time I'd ever seen full color acrylics, which are basically like templates, but they're in full color. Mm-hmm. Um, game aids, like support aids. Like there was a, a guy called Mod Cube there. We'll play a little clip for him. And he essentially had six-sided dice that you could put anything you wanted on any of the facet. 
So you could literally design your dice for your army. You could have it as being a wound dice. You could have it being a vehicle wreck dice. He had them awesome. for Privateer Press. He had them for Malifaux. He had them for X-Wing. He had mm-hmm. everything. Um, we saw, um, let's see, um, who else was there? Um, Muson Minis. They had lots of good um, you know, plastic support pieces, 2D terrain. Um, we saw a lot of um, Greenman Designs was there doing his thing. Fallout Hobbies. They were mm. really great. Yeah. They've got tons of cool stencils. Um, LEDs is another big thing. And I actually I looked at their website after I came back. They have a really interactive website. It's really yeah. easy to navigate. The guy's got his act together. It's really great. Um, we also saw a lot of, because 8th edition, even though that's over, 9th edition is now in a thing. And this is people that want to play with Warhammer Fantasy figures the old way, yeah. where they've updated the rules. Lizardman is a good example of this. Like these guys, he's playing it on square bases. He's a traditionalist. So um, now they have a need for trays, um, you know, uh, movement trays, army support, you know, platforms, that kind of stuff, MDF yeah. terrain. So Tectonic Craft Studios was one of the guys there. Yeah, I think that's the guys I'm yeah. thinking of uh, that are running off. So just tons and tons MDF of support stuff. guys. Yeah. They're, um, in fact, you picked up a template for painting War Machines. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They had a great template to uh, actually marking the arcs for your War Machine. It's, uh, you know, you can't really, you can't actually eyeball it. You can use some conventional aids like rulers and such, but you can't never get that precision. There was With a this, it's it. really, really great. You yeah. just slap it on, mark it off, boom, it's done. Yeah. So, great little product. Really smart. And uh, so simple and so clever. Yeah. And that's the thing is that these little vendors, they, they think of things that necessarily the big guys might not have thought of yet. Yeah, well, they're thinking more of, you know, what's going to be easier for the gamer, what yeah. is it for the painter. So, yeah. And that's one of the nice things about, I think, these conventions. Is it allows the gamers and the vendors an opportunity to chat face-to-face. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. And the vendors get ideas from the from the gamers the gamers pick up products from the vendors so it's really like a symbiotic relationship it's great yeah. um did you guys what was your favorite did you purchase anything at the event that you were pleased with what was your favorite buy uh, um <laughs> we're all, yeah go ahead Paul. so i would say that our favorite vendor to go check out was definitely cool mini or not um we were right across from them conveniently yeah. right next door we could look into horribly so <laughs> right across yeah. Yeah. and i'll elaborate on that you probably later. spent most of your day there i would say i yeah. spent money there oh, wow. i was hanging out there i was talking to the guys yeah. i was uh, drooling over the beautifully painted miniatures by big child which is their uh, frontline painting studio for their product. Uh, oh my god! Yeah. It's... Now um, the guy running the booth. There was there was several staff members there. They were all great. Yeah. Um, among them was Dave Taylor. Dave mm-hmm. Taylor Miniatures. We got we have an extended interview with him, and that will be played on this show. You can absolutely listen to that uh, and hear the full interview on the show. He talks about their ranges at Kulmini or not, Wrath of Kings and Dark Age. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, both are, in my opinion, great ranges. Yeah. Like incredibly rich ranges and. Uh, I didn't want to say this in front of him because I didn't want to be like, well, these are competitors for skirmish games, but they are. Yeah. But um, they're they're really in a league of their own. Like the the models are just they're very inventive. They're not like anything I'd seen out there. Yeah. Well, I'm gonna touch a little bit on Dark Age because I just love the setting and Dark Age is actually based visually on the art of an artist called Brom. He is a guy that did these beautiful illustrations for he worked for uh, TSR when that was alive. He created the vision, the visuals for the Dark Sun setting. Um, he worked for Magic, uh, and he a lot of these miniatures are actually taken from his 
illustrations from his artwork sure. and the setting was created around it right so that i you know that's a special uh, place in my heart for that so dark age is kind of like as dave was explaining to me it's a post-apocalyptic setting yeah um but it doesn't really feel like that because it's it's so the society has been so decimated it's not like terminator where it's like right. well there's still robots and computers yeah it's like these guys are, are back in the dark ages um, if anything, they've regressed. Um, yeah. But so the setting is very savage. Um, but like you said, it's like it's a game designed. To, you know, the aesthetic was the first thing. Yeah, like the absolutely. look was the most important thing. Yeah, and they designed the game around that look. Yeah. Um, and as a result of that, the models are just really stunning. And like you said, Big Child, which is the studio that did the painting for that, has just done an incredible job. Oh yeah, they're one of my favorites actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, artists, group of artists. Now, um, the, when you actually walked in the Cool Mini or Not booth, it didn't really feel like a booth. It felt more like a store. Because mm-hmm. the displays that they've done, they have fully painted models behind cases yeah. with backdrops. So it, it's like seeing them on the website, but seeing them in person. Yeah. So And they are the actual models from the site. Like, yeah. I compared when I got home, and yeah. I was like, that is the model. It is exactly. So if you think they look good on the website, wait till you see them in person. They're All just right. they're it's, phenomenal. It's something, else. it's something else. Now, the whole design of their presentation was just top-notch. Yeah. You know? And I actually, you would expect that from an upcoming studio because they kind of are upcoming you know cool meaning or not traditionally is was a website where painters would just share their artwork they were created this grading level system and now they're using kickstarter to, they're cranking out these great games these beautifully designed miniatures so yeah yeah i think to even touch on that a little bit more like and i think you're right what it surprised me was that dark age apparently has been out for the better part of a decade yeah but yeah. i didn't know in fact, when I went to the booth, I saw several miniatures that I thought had been out of production, and they were actually still currently in production. So that, to me, tells me that people are not getting the word out very well, yeah. that they haven't found their market yet. So just to sort of reiterate, like Val said, Clumini or Not was started as a website where artists could basically upload their models and share techniques, compare models. Yeah, it was a painting forum. It was a painting forum. It was a painting yeah. forum. And it has grown since then to be uh, sort of a, not only a support tool for artists, yeah. where they have you know painting videos, the Massive Voodoo guys have pages on that site. They also have their own ranges of models that are supported by them. In fact, they just bought out Guillotine Games Zombicide. So now yeah. they are the official... Providers owner, of Zombicide. Yeah, yeah. On top of that, Soda Pop miniatures are well presented at the Cool Mini or Nights Knots. I, I don't know if they're the originators of the project, but that's um, certainly where you go to shop. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, Dark Age and Wrath of Kings are actually, uh, they've been around as long as Privateer Press has. They just haven't caught on yet. Yeah. But when they do catch on, I think they're going to catch on in a big way. And, and I don't think it would be surprising to see them at, with a bigger presence at Nova. They had a game hall dedicated to it. Right. But it was a smaller hall. Small one. Yeah. I'm thinking they'll gradually move into one of the bigger, yeah. major uh, standpoints. And, um, and, and from a studio standpoint, the models are so nice. I would love to do up some of these. Yeah. So even if you're just a collector and you like the models and you're not interested in playing the game, but you like the models, just let us know. Email us at info at whitemetalgames.com. Let us know what model you're looking and having done. And we'll be happy to cut you a deal just to sort of build our portfolio a little bit, support the cool mini or not guys. You know, we, I love those models. Yeah, I, I was, I was really drawn to them. I, I couldn't wait to get home and, and learn more about them. Um, yeah, and, I couldn't. I couldn't yeah. just grab, get a grip on myself. I had to pick up a couple of yeah, them. They're great. They're yeah, great. they're just astonishing. And Dave, to be fair, Dave Taylor, he is just a real. He's a real resource. Yeah. Like he just he's 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 a hundred percent team player. 
He knows those models back and forth. Every question I asked, he knew the backstory, the ranges. The guy was invaluable. And that's something you can't get without going to a convention like yeah. Nova. Like if you just, I couldn't email him and ask that stuff. But when you're face to face with him, you can see him, you hear the inflection in his voice. Yeah. It's an experience you can't get unless you go. Absolutely. I I didn't actually get a chance to talk to Dave. Uh, just, it, yeah, I didn't really talk, talk to him. I talked to um, one of the guys who's from the production design studio, Alex, and yeah. actually one of their concept artists, Jeff, which was super great. This is absolutely awesome to talk to those guys. You know, from an artist standpoint, sure, that's sure. my bread and butter. You're, coming, you're more coming from, you know, business no, no, kind yeah, of no, but aspect. I get that. I mean, essentially, so, these cons pay these artists to come in and teach classes, like Jessica Rich. We'll talk right. about her later on the show. But it gives you, as an artist, a really unique opportunity right. to talk to the artist face-to-face and ask them, what were you thinking when you did this? Yeah, How did yeah. you come up with this idea? Yeah. Well, to be fair, these guys are not the painting guys, sure. right? They're the design, they're the production artists. Sure. So, again, but it's still an awesome way to uh, get get a chance to talk to them. Yeah. Well, let's talk about some of the artists at the event. Oh, some absolutely. Of the other artists at the event. So, um, so some of the artists that were there include um, CK Studios, yep. which is um, Caleb Weisenbach. I got that right? Yep. And, and um, Kate, uh, I can't think of her last name right now. I cannot remember. I, I, don't, know, I don't remember her last name either. But um, So Caleb and Kate run a um, painting forum. Uh, what's the name of it? Hobby, Hobby, Hobby Hangout. Hobby Hangout. On uh, Facebook. Uh, so Hobby Hangout on Facebook. And we got to meet them in person, talk to them. And they were great. Super, super great, actually. Mm-hmm. Really nice, really polite. Um, you were able to meet Roman from Massive Voodoo. Uh, I met, we actually got to talk to Roman and Rafa. We got yeah. to talk to, we hang out with both of them. And we, had an, we did an extended interview with Jessica Rich. Yeah. So of all of the um, artists you talked to this weekend, who do you feel like you, you got the most from, you learned the most from, or, or that you were just more so excited to talk to? They're learning, I guess I wouldn't put it as learning per se for myself. Sure. But the, I had the chance to spend most time with Roman and Rafa. Yeah, and we actually talked almost. Ni- I want to say like eighty percent nothing regarding miniature painting. It yeah. was just the art in general. Just shooting the shit. Yeah, not, it's well, they're, they're both of them. Sure. They're coming from uh, traditional art background right. as well, same as Jessica as well. But uh, we just just the way it played out. You know, I had the most chance to talk to them. So that, that's 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 probably my highlight. Very cool, Roman and uh, Rafa. Philip, who was your favorite guy at the event? Our favorite person to talk to. Yeah, I mean, I probably agree. We got to actually take a class with uh, with Massive or with Roman specifically, so mm-hmm. we got to learn. I at least learned some new techniques and stuff and how to understand color and things. So it was definitely beneficial speaking with him a lot. Yeah, um, and like Val said, we got to hang out with him afterwards to talk during lunch and things. So um, and these classes, yeah. like one of the nice things about them is that you can. They're interactive. You can ask questions. Mm-hmm. They're yep. small enough yeah. that you yeah. can get that help. It's not like, like you can buy a, a, a video. Like mm-hmm. I'm sure a lot of these guys sell videos how to paint and stuff. But it's not the same experience. No. So you spend your $20 and you have that opportunity to talk to the artist face-to-face, get their impressions. Mm-hmm. They can actually evaluate your work, yeah. give you a couple tips on the spot. Um, so I, I think it's super valuable. Right. Um, I, I did not, unfortunately, get to talk to, to either of those people because I was... Well, I talked to Kate, I talked to Kate briefly. Um, but I was running around. I was there 
and present for the interview with Jessica Rich, mm-hmm. who frankly was the one I was most excited about, yeah. um, because her work to me was the most recognizable. I've, I've, I've watched um, her, I've seen some of her, her pieces, and I've always been impressed with her work. And we, we got to do about a 15-minute interview with her. Right. Um, she was very down to earth. Absolutely. Um, and and you, you, you don't think about the fact that these, these are artists, like for example, Jen Haley was at the event, we talked to her a couple times. And these are people that like, you don't think about, like, they're just, they're just like anybody else. They take their coffee a certain way. They get hungry. They get hungover. They, 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 you know, started somewhere. And for me, talking to Jessica Rich, that was kind of my favorite event because she went, when she talked about her humble beginnings is the best way to put it. Yeah. Like her first couple times out the door learning and kind of seeing Jen Haley, uh, her work in the beginning and wanting to aspire to that. And then essentially learning to paint, going to conventions, talking to artists, getting better every time. And uh, it, it's kind of like a, a Cinderella story almost. It's yeah. almost like she, she, uh, she figured out what she wanted to do. She figured out how to do it. And she pursued it until she is, is now one of the, you could argue, one of the best painters in the world. I mean, she's, she's incredible. And some of her pieces are absolute, like we've been talking about this, defining art in miniatures. Yeah. And that's exactly what these guys are doing. They're not painting miniatures they're creating art and miniatures are their medium yeah exactly. Um, exactly and they're really operating at a different level these these are people that use miniatures as a way to express themselves and themes and stuff their ideas their yeah. films their philosophy and their point and, of and just sort of that. talking to them about how they come up with their ideas like everything from uh just the, their palettes they select and the themes they put into their pieces and like for example her piece dance uh, dance macabre uh, or Dante Macabre, I think as she called it, was like a reflection of her, which yeah. was great and yeah. super, super interesting to learn about. I'm not going to give you too many spoilers right now. Listen to the interview. Yeah, definitely check out the interview. It's going, it's uh, going to be a lot. It's a definitely a different shift on the, what you would think a uh, miniature painter, you know, thinks about when when they paint because you always get intimidated by the technique. You know, you're, that's the first thing you're wild out. But that's not exactly what they're actually thinking. So definitely check that out. Um, so um, some of the other stuff going on at the event that now no um, no event like this would be an event without competition. Um, so there was everything from gaming competitions, painting competitions, uh, sportsmanship competitions, that kind of stuff. They also had a bunch of charity armies, charity raffles. Mm-hmm. There was at least three or four armies there that were charity raffled yeah. off. And this actually leads me to the next thing. I, I forgot to mention this earlier in the show. So. Um, as you guys have heard from us in the past, um, and I'll, I'll talk about this now because we were at the Nova, Nova Open Foundation is a charity 401k foundation. Essentially what they do is they um, artists will create charity armies. They raffle those armies off at these kind of events, and they use the proceeds to benefit uh, any worthy cause, anything from breast cancer survivors to victims of crime to uh, fallen soldiers, that kind of stuff. Um, and we saw some, some great-looking armies there. I really mm-hmm. was impressed with them. Now, uh, a few about a month ago, maybe two months ago now, Matt from Titan Terrain Studio was originating a project um, where uh, we were basically going to create an army to benefit uh, the victims of the victim National Center of the Victims of Crime. Uh, and this was in response to the Orlando shootings in Florida a few months ago, but also just as a response to the general uptick in violence in our nation today and in the world, to be fair. Uh, now, Matt uh, is kind of in a state of flux right now. He's about to move back to Kentucky and start a game story. So he's just kind of busy. Um, so because of that, he asked us to take over project lead on this project, which means that we get to 
kind of start over mm-hmm. uh, and we get to redefine the project. So where we're at right now is we've decided to take over this charity project. We're going to be submitting it to the Nova Open Foundation with their support. But now we need to figure out what the hell we want to do. <laughs> so uh, essentially we have the opportunity to create something new and unique here. Now, in the past, traditionally, people pick armies that are popular because they sell better. Yeah. They, they develop more tickets. If you, if you, if you were to do, a, let's say, um, a Tyranid army, there's not as many Tyranid players out there, so it won't get as many bids. Yeah. So that's why people tend to pick something like a Marine army. So at this point, we're going to field your opinions. If you have opinions about this, email us at info at whitemetalgames.com. Give us your top three choices. You can uh, vote for this, let's say, for the next couple weeks. Until, uh, let's say, October 1st. And uh, let us know what you think, you're thinking, what would be a good army for us to do. Uh, we're going to take all those opinions and then kind of weigh the pros and cons of each. And then, uh, then decide which way to go. Uh, but we are going to be pursuing the army. We're going to be taking it as our... We're going to be taking over control of the project with Matt's support. And with the blessings of Nova Open. Uh, we're going to be working closely with them on this project to develop it. Uh, but we'd love to get your guys' two cents about what you think we should do. Yeah, Definitely. Um, we've seen some cool stuff in the past. Obviously, we want to do something new, uh, but we also want to do something that people will be excited about. Um, so we saw those there. We also saw a lot of silent auctions there. Um, Stiffneck Studio did a whole board. They did like an entire terrain board mm-hmm. for an orc board. So mm-hmm. there's some really cool stuff there. Yeah. 2D art pieces. We saw a lot of those. Yep. Um, let's talk about the competitions a little bit. Um, so as we said earlier, one of our armies um, that we painted won third place in the painting competition, which was great. Uh, and then on top of that, Val, you entered a bust in the competition. Yeah. yeah. So uh, now the bust category, did we ever figure out what the category was? It was the bust category. It was the bust category? Yeah. Okay, great. Yeah, so they had quite category. a few competitors there, but you you made it into the finals, and you took third. You took bronze in the event. Yeah, it's actually my first painting competition yeah. ever, and to be to actually place, I did not expect that I would place anything. Yeah, and there were some great-looking guys there, but it was it was so wonderful to see like something you i mean how did that make you feel to see your own piece advance like that kind of uncomfortable really yeah. <laughs> again i did not think i would place uh, yeah. it was a last minute snap decision to enter it i was yeah. actually preparing a different piece that i then decided you know I'm not, i don't want to rush it i want to do a proper job before sure. i even highlight this uh so yeah it was a snap decision to take that uh that bust uh, and basically give it a shot and, then, and, and there were some, there were some great there were some great looking models there and so i'm not i'm not uh you know not to sort of take away from anybody lots of people had great looking models there mm-hmm. yeah. um what were you what did you guys think about some of the uh, did you have a favorite competition piece you saw there that like i uh, actually i didn't really look that close oh, really? I, just, I just placed them and then ran off okay. i see because you were kind of like oh no <laughs> yeah it was just you, you know, don't want to be nervous about like yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Now, there were a few pieces that were that stood out i liked a lot of the uh squads yeah we did a couple like five or six man squads and there's an emperor's children one and apparently that was the theme of of nova everyone had emperor's children models in there i didn't know that That's there was quite a few I wonder if it was um, the unofficial theme i guess i don't know but there was one that was fantastic it had a lot of freehand banner and all that um the colors were well executed and it had a nice scene behind it as well. Now, I think Nova is a te- is a crystal brush qualifying event, which I still don't know what that means. So I think the idea is that um, you so these events allow you you have to qualify to enter crystal brush. Really? It's like as far as I know, not just everybody like I couldn't go on crystal brush website and enter it, as far as I know. Like I have to place at a qualifier. So it limits the number of people that can enter these events. At least that's what I think it is. Well, that would make sense except that I've seen you would expect like very high end models all the time. Crystal Bruce hasn't always had that. Like you'll see a few that are just like, eh, they're okay. But maybe but those not. were the best of their qualifier. 
Yeah, you know. possibly. Because to be fair, like uh, at the event, to be to be honest, they have like kind of the equivalent of like the Young Bloods competition, mm-hmm. where there are younger painters, usually under fifteen or sixteen, who are painting kind of their first models. And these are models that are great at that age. They're mm-hmm. stupendous at that at that that point in these kids' lives. Um, but to be fair, they're they're probably not going to, to qualify. They're not right. they're not at that level. Yeah. Um, I know what I was painting at fifteen, and these people are, are kicking my ass at their fifteen. <laughs> like my my guys were. We won't even talk about it. I, I, they've been long burned and thrown away. Um, <laughs> but they're doing much much better than I ever did. Uh, but uh, but yeah, as far as I know, these are qualifying events for Crystal Brush. Okay. Um, so essentially, you have to place at one of these to, I think, to advance. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Well, I heard that, but I could never actually, I couldn't figure it out. I still can't. Maybe you just have to place. Maybe you don't have to win. Maybe you just have to place. Maybe it's like they take the qualifiers. Maybe you could enter Crystal Brush, for all you know. Yeah. That'd be awesome. Um, So, um, uh, I'm trying to think if there's anything else you guys want to kind of mention about the event in general. Um, Obviously, we've got a lot of sound bites. We've been playing them in between the segments today. Um, And um, lots of, of, of cool interviews there. Um, but you know, uh, is there anything, I guess that kind of stood out to the event that you want to sort of mention before we sign off on this? I was just, uh, again, very excited. This was my, I want to say like second event overall. Uh, again, I've been at a games day, uh, before once, uh, this was entirely something different. Just so much going on. It was just, uh, it was quite overwhelming. Yeah. I think overwhelming is a really good word for it. Like the first couple, the first time I got there, I, I felt really out of my league. Yeah. Um, and to be honest, we were there just for two days. Two this days. is a four-day event. Yeah. yeah. So by the time we got there, there was one of the guys that there was a table called Broken Egg. And to be fair, they make, in my opinion, beautiful trays, hand carved, not hand carved, but hand stained with felt lining. They were they were incredible trays. Mm-hmm. Um, but the guy who's running the booth, he says he does something like twenty or thirty cons a year. So he was exhausted. I mean, at that point, he's spending more time on the road at cons than at home. Yeah. And he was married, too, I think. Oh, my god. Uh, so he got what they call con... He called it con life, which is sort of the equivalent of, like... I guess the closest thing would be, like, a, a band on like, tour. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I was about to go, say, uh, like, yeah. a truck driver. Yeah. I think the like truck driver would truck be worse, because yeah. at least this way he flies, I think. <laughs> but I don't know. Uh, anyway, Philip, did you have any sort of final, final sentiments about the event? Um, not really. I mean, just to go back to really the first um, point that on our list here, at least, will we come back? And I think that's definitely a yes. I yeah. mean, oh, yeah, it was worth absolutely. our time. Yeah. It was an awesome experience. So I plan on going next year. You know, yeah. one of the events that I missed that I, I definitely can't wait to see next year is they have this, an event that was really unique called Glowpocalypse, mm-hmm. which essentially is an apocalypse game, but they hooked up all these LED lights to these buildings and they play it in, in, in the dark. So it's like you're in a glowing board. It's like being a spaceship. Oh, this is no. Yeah, this is the event. Really? They did it for two nights. Now, um, what was? They did the first two nights. No, they did it one of the nights while we were there. Oh, they did it during yeah. nighttime. Yeah, nighttime. That's what they we don't missed. even. They don't even start until like eleven p.m. I know or we missed the killer after party yeah. on that yeah. first, uh, yeah. that third day. Oh yeah, let's talk about let's talk about that a little bit. So one of the cool things about Nova is that they on the 18th floor of the building they had a suite they had rented out, mm-hmm. and the suite had um, a bar. And in the morning, you could go and get donuts and coffee for next to nothing. Um, I did that the second day. And uh, they also had a band. They brought in a band. Apparently, the guy, yeah. who, the, run, the guy who runs the con, Mike Brandt, 
he uh, he plays, I, I guess, professionally maybe. Yeah. So him and his wife, she's like a singer or something. So me and Dennis were up there kind of kicking around after Saturday night. You guys were, were had, had, I don't know what you were doing at that point. Yeah. But um, so we went up there and they were they were prepping their set to play. Um, and I had to leave because I had to go meet my wife for dinner. But um, I was like, I've never been to a con where they have a live band. In a private yeah. suite, it That's was just awesome. it was unlike anything I'd ever seen before. So it a, sounds like it's something you want to be able to stay at that hotel if you're going to plan on going yeah. to the convention. Plan to rent a room there. That way you can enjoy all the things. If you want to take a break, go up to your room. Otherwise, you can just come down. And, hang and the out. rooms were really nice for the ninety three dollars. Yeah. Like Dennis showed me his room, and it was actually really pimp. Yeah, like yeah. yeah, like it was like like porn stars would shoot in these rooms. Nice, like, <laughs> like a nice room. Like you know what I'm saying? Like a, a nice looking room. And for ninety three bucks for the rate, it was really good. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, before we get off of that too much. Um, so the Glowpocalypse event, so essentially this is an apocalypse-level event. Now, one of the things we did at this con that I'll, I'll mention as my signing off was that we ran a survey asking whether people would essentially um, uh, rent pre-painted units and models at events. So, for example, to put this in context, let's say you are flying to an event in Texas, and you get to the event and you realize you left behind your tray of drop pods. Well, we would, for a modest fee, rent you out painted drop pods that we've painted in pre-painted schemes, maybe Blood Angels, Dark Angels, Ultramarines, a couple basic schemes. Yeah. Rhinos, Razorbacks, just very simple vehicles, things that are easy to forget. On top of that, we asked about big models. We asked about Scouts, Titans, Reaver Titans, Warhounds, Warlords. Mm-hmm. Uh, we asked about what people wanted to see. And the resounding results we got, I had a chance to look over the results. We had about 40 or so results. Awesome. Uh, 40 or so people filled out the survey. Um, and that was partially because we were giving away free dice. We, we used that as a, as a way <laughs> to there. bait the free candy table. Free candy. Um, and um, so essentially uh, they told us yes. It was a resounding yes. They wanted to rent Titans at conventions. Uh, the only kick with it was the rates were all over the board. Mm-hmm. Some people said they would pay as much as 100 to rent a Warlord. Some people say they'd pay as low as 30 mm-hmm. So what we're going to do is take these results and we're going to decide whether or not if we're going to do more of these events if we would do that kind of thing. So if that's the kind of thing you think you'd be interested in, um, what we'll do is we'll, uh, we'll post the survey to our website and we'll provide a link. And you can let us know if this is the kind of thing you would want to do. And if it is, let us know. Because then that encourages us as a studio to do a couple Titans, bring them to events, and rent them out. And then you guys can enjoy them without having to spend thousands of dollars. You can enjoy them for a night. That kind of thing. Uh, But again, just to reiterate, Nova was a smashing success. We absolutely loved it. Can't wait for next year. Uh, definitely want to get more involved with those guys. They're doing a great job. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Uh, the culture that they've established, it feels more like a family yeah. than, than a convention. No, it's, very, it's very cozy, very uh, yeah. open-minded, very uh, close. It feel, just feels close, you know. All right, well, we're going to take a, a quick break, and when we jump back in, we're going to talk about our one-minute rant for Gush, and we'll be right back after this. Right. Hi, I'm uh, Val with uh, White Metal Games and War, War Council Podcast. We're here with Scott. He's uh, entering his third day at Nova with uh, Infinity. You've been doing Infinity, and right now you're doing X-Wing Narrative, right? Uh, the other way around. I'm doing uh, Infinity today because the X-Wing Grand Tournament is going on, and the competition level in this area is so high that I was like, hey, what's the point? Kind of got intimidated there a little. <laughs> yeah. I got you. Um, but the narrative... Uh, just it's story-based you know campaign you know objective-based missions it's been a lot of fun so how do you like the uh event right now the different vendors different miniatures that are being presented uh the vendors are a little bit dangerous to my wallet (laughs) (laughs) that's everybody's problem i think um i've been seeing the 
Um, there's a lot of a lot down there in the vendor hall that catches my eye, but the um, I've been looking at the models in the painting competitions and I'm a little bit jealous of the skill level. <laughs> but uh, yeah, good, gotcha. So, are you gonna try to catch any of the uh, like art seminars and painting and such to hire your skill, or are you gonna do any of that? Um, I would love to, but I'm pretty much full up with games, and I'm not actually staying at the convention center. I've been driving back and forth, so it's about an hour and a half each way. So that eats up a little too much of my time. That's also why I'm starting to get the circles under my eyes and everything. Yeah, I got to get a little sleep deprived. I see it there. I gotcha, gotcha. Cool. Well, dude, I appreciate you taking a couple of minutes to talk with me, man. Thank you, and good luck with the tournament. Thanks. Hey, guys, welcome back. We're going to jump into our one-minute rant or gush tonight. And tonight we're going to talk about Unstable the Board Game. Uh, so at the convention this, uh, at Nova, there was one um, vendor there. They, uh, they had a game board that they had designed. It was essentially a kickstarted game called Unstable. And um, it's kind of uh, it kind of reminded me of games I might have played in my childhood. It was kind of a yeah. kickback to those. Mm-hmm. Essentially, it was a bunch of different colored blocks, and you used the blocks to build a bridge to the center of the board. But players could steal bo- blocks, they could manipulate bo- blocks, they yeah. could destroy blocks, they could swap blocks, all through these cards. Now, the designer of the game wasn't there, but his 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 reps, Colleen and Kenny, were there. And um, we're going to provide you with a link to the website so you can check it out. The Kickstarter should be starting soon. Um, so follow them on Kickstarter and let them know what you think about it. Um, you had a chance, Val, to play the game. Yeah, yeah. yeah what, did. what did you think of it? What did you think of it? I thought it was actually pretty cool. It's for, uh, kind of tricky to get a grasp of first, but that's uh, maybe t- your fight. It's maybe your first five six minutes. Sure. For to get a grasp on a game that is that is killer quick. Yeah. Um, it's great fun actually. If um, it's Felt the movement system felt very close to Monopoly, sure. where you throw dice, you move a certain amount, um, you land on something, you have to react to that. You, in this case, it would be you can steal blocks, you can try to steal blocks from another guy, and that kind of uh, messing with the other guy's system reminded me of uh, Munchkin. Yeah, it's actually a pretty fun game. It's simple. Looks, it's. Exactly that, just wooden blocks, right? Yeah. You're moving pieces, wooden blocks, trying to make it to the center. Um, no, what's, what's neat about this game is that even though kids were playing, and it was good for kids, yeah. but it's also it's also fun for adults. Like, yeah, I, they there's showed, strategy involved. Yeah. You've got to think about what you're doing. You've got to plan ahead. You, there's also the uh, element of chance, so it's kind of a, taking, kicking it back to the poker thing. Yeah. There are uh, secret cards you can play. It's well, actually they had great shown fun. Some, they had some videos where they had played it in a park, and they had college kids coming around. They played yeah. it in a bar. Uh, so essentially, it's easy to take, easy to travel. Uh, easy to play, and for families that are looking for a nice, simple board game, uh, this is cool because your kids and you will both be challenged by it, and yeah. you'll be able to compete yeah. on an equal level. Whereas, like when I used to play Monopoly, like my parents would just just destroy me. Yeah. Like they would just destroy me because I didn't understand that the game was too complicated. Right? You know, I was buying no, real it's, estate. It's, it's that simple. It's that simple for again for a kids level. It is fun. It is strategic. Yeah. It is engaging. That's the thing I'm looking for. It yeah. is, you start off. I started. First of all, well, do I want to run around Nova? Do I want to... Yeah, you know, I got time. Let's give it a try. Sure. And it didn't kind of grasp me right at first, but as through I, I got to play it more and more, it starts to draw you in. Yeah. You can actually get quite competitive there yeah. as well. So it's it's get it gets a very broad 
range of experiences and emotions as you're playing. I'd say it's a great game. Now, they actually had a pretty good number. They had a board game room at Nova. Yeah. Um, so people could go and play board games. Obviously, it's not a board game con. It's a war game con. Uh, but they had a good representation of board games there. So I thought it was really cool that they, they were the only people there doing board game vending. Um, and really, they were more promoting. They weren't selling the game. Yeah. They were just promoting it. But they will be having it on Kickstarter soon. I think you can get the game for as little as like 25 bucks or something like that. So it's a cheap game to get into, not hard at all. In fact, I think you can even just buy the board and make your own blocks as one of the options for buying the game. Huh. So it couldn't be cheaper. Um, a lot of fun. Check it out. Unstable the game. It's at Facebook slash Unstable the game. And we'll provide a link in the show notes. Uh, we're going to take a quick break, and then we'll jump in with our outro, and we will be out of here. We'll be right back after this. First tournament ever. Awesome experience so far. Yeah. Uh, didn't know what to expect, but everybody here has been super cool, super amicable. Uh, already, <laughs> already got a lot of phone numbers. Hopefully, we meet up with some dudes, having some beers later. So, overall, great time. Great, great. Uh, tell us what you're running right now. Where are you participating in? So, actually, I participated uh, on Thursday for the Nova Trios. I ran a Tau Army. Uh, my other two teammates were two uh, an Ultramarines and a Black Templars. So, we did pretty well. Uh, played against some good dudes, played three games. Won the storytelling aspect of the tournament. That's going to be the narrative, right? Narrative, yes, yes, sir. And uh, won third overall. So there's tw- 19 or 20 teams uh, this year, which is double, I guess, from last year. So, yeah. So and you guys got third overall. Third overall, yeah, that's oh right. God, you, guys are, you guys are killing it, man. We tried. We played Eldar, uh, some Eldar shenanigans, some Revenants yep. in the last game, and they pretty much tabled both of our teams. <laughs> but uh, some cool dudes while we were doing it. So, so what was the hardest team, what hardest game you were playing right now? I was definitely that last game. So I'd never actually played against a 900-point uh, Eldar Revenant before, mm-hmm. and uh, some of the stuff they can do was ridiculous, like flag yeah. across the table, uh, some D weapons all over the place. So my tie weren't ready for gotcha. all that kind of thing. I got gotcha, you, I got gotcha. you. <laughs> um, and this counts towards the ITC format? Because this is all part of the ITC, yeah, so, right? Yeah. Okay. Are you guys, is your team, like, ranked at all, like, oh, in the ITC? Yeah. I'm no. here, some local. I'm from yeah. the area. Okay. We just uh, we participate in uh, Victory Comics. Uh, okay. Tour. If you guys yeah. know about it, check it out. Uh, awesome uh, team down there. Okay. Uh, so, yeah, just kind of representing them. So, I, let me ask, are you, after this, having the, went through this experience, are you, how do you like it? Do you think you're going to become, like, a returning uh, tournament player? Absolutely. I, so, this is my good taste. I obviously had a good taste in my first experience. We're definitely coming back. Right. So it's uh, local gaming just for the practice, and you're going to be gearing yourself to these larger tournaments, right? Yeah, so we set, I think we set a pretty high bar this year, next year. It's going to be much better, hopefully. Right. <laughs> hey, guys, welcome back. That takes us into our outro. We are out of here this week. Next time on the show, we will be talking with Tyler of Mingle Miniatures. Um, we've heard from you guys, and we know you guys want us to do more interviews um, so we're trying to schedule more interviews. Um, we are planning to speak with, in the future, CK Studios, Jim Haley, Roman, of course. Um, and um, we're going to be talking with Tyler of Mingle Miniatures next week. You can take a look in the link to his website. And if you have any questions you want us to ask him, get them in soon so that we can add those to our docket of questions. Because otherwise, we're just going to ask him whatever the hell we want. And there's a lot of things we want to ask him. Um, he's, a, he's a great artist. We want to talk to him about his work and... Um, you know, so tune back in for that. Um, also coming in o- October, we're going to have an interview with Brian from Reaper Miniatures. We're going to talk to them about uh, their operation, how Reaper is still a family-owned company despite the fact that they have more than 4,000 miniatures in active production. Um, so stay tuned. More interviews are forthcoming. Uh, up until that, un- until then, uh, my name is Caleb Dillon with White Metal Games. 
I'm Phil Corman with Brushwork Minis. And I'm Val Malik with White Metal Games. Until then, put your minis where your mouth is. Um, so, guys, I am here with CJ Kinder. She's the official photographer for the Nova Open this weekend in Arlington, Virginia, here in Crystal City. Um, CJ, thank you so much for speaking with us this morning. Thank you. So, you are the official photographer for Nova. What does that mean exactly? Do you photograph just the entire event, different miniatures, stuff for the website? Well, last year, I headed the entire photography team. Um, I, I personally photographed the miniatures for the Capitol Palette, and okay. then I had... Um, maybe 10 volunteers that were running the computers, uploading the photos, editing, and running all over, taking pictures of award ceremonies and you know, everything that's going on, vendors, camaraderie, catching what they could. So it's a lot of work. It, it sounds it, like it's very involved. It is very involved. So this year, um, I chose to focus only on the Capitol Palette, okay. and Chris Michaels is heading the event part of the photography team and they're doing fantastic and when I have free time um, since I finished the capital palette photos I help out with the rest of the photo team so um, when you're photographing for the Capitol Palette, mm-hmm. what are some of the things you look for? when? Because, ca- I mean, I'm sure that we all take photos of our miniatures, mm-hmm. but there's definitely a quality issue where, you know, your camera can't get quite close enough, can't capture all those details. Right. These painters spend days, if not weeks, lavishing these models with details. True. So how do you make sure you capture those details as crisply as you can? Um, well, I use a macro lens. Okay. Um, now, these are the kind of lenses you, with a macro lens, because we use those a lot, mm-hmm. extreme detail, like right. flower close detail. Right. Yeah. Um, it's a 100 millimeter fixed lens, and actually I went with an off-brand because it had better color than the Canon did, uh, which I was, it was surprising. Sure. Um, but when you're focusing on your mini, you, uh, you want to have a very small um, aperture. So that uh, not a lot of light is coming in, but it has a very long line of focus. Sure. Longer depth of field. Right, exactly. And I use a shutter release so that I'm not touching the camera and shaking it. Mm -hmm. It's on a tripod. And when you focus, you want to focus on the closest point to you, whether it's a, a weapon or the actual face of the mini or even like the rocks on the front of the pedestal. Sure. And once you have that in focus... Um, everything else should be in focus behind it sure. is what usually happens. And then you take a few pictures, um, you, you zoom in, you check your focus, make sure you're getting what you want. Uh-huh. And if you need to refocus a little, you do that again, check it. And then uh, once you get what you want, in general, I bracket so that the people who do the editing, they have a choice um, of which stop looks the best. So when you say bracket, you mean you move your f-stop up and down a few, letting a different amount of light? Is that what you mean? Correct. Okay, great. So they have a little bit of variation, so they don't necessarily have to edit it up or down. They don't have to increase contrast or exposure. They have choices. Right. Okay, great. Yeah. Um, now, what about the lighting for these kind of photos? Like, we're talking about the f-stops, we're talking about the depth of field, but what about the actual light that's coming down on them? The lighting um, is a little different this year uh, than I did last year. I'm using the same, I'm using two lamps on the side with very large uh, diffusing. Um, so the light comes through softer. Soft boxes, yes. Yeah. Uh, two large soft boxes. Are these daylight balanced lamps or are these tungsten balanced lamps? Like for what, what we traditionally know as is just warm halogen. They're, they're daylight um, okay. LED, I believe. Okay, great. And um, I had uh, Rafa 
he was so nice and he suggested that I use an LED spotlight to light the background so that you get a nice gradient uh-huh. from dark to light sure. and it worked much better. Great. And, and so now, it creates some visual interest in the background right. and separates the model from the background. Exactly. Nice. Awesome. Um, so what kind of tips could you give for new photographers that are just getting into it that want to sort of make their photos a little bit better, a little bit quicker? Right. Well, definitely have fun with it. Okay. Um, it's it's all about um, playing with, you know, the settings on your camera. Sure. And um, I'll be honest, when I was uh, signed on last year, I've never photograph miniatures before so I went online and I looked at a lot of blogs and one of the first blogs I looked at which was the most helpful happened to be Massive Voodoo nice and then I came here and I met them and I'm like oh I read your blog and now I photograph miniatures yeah Yeah. so I mean and it's not just um, you know the uh, wargaming miniatures that I was looking at I was looking at people who create dioramas and scenes and and all kinds of miniature photography to see what they had to say and there was there's a lot of different suggestions, and it's about um, testing and, and playing with it and then kind of coming up with your own thing. When you look at a diorama or a narrative scene or something like that, when there's so many details, when there's so much to be captured, how do you figure out what is the most important thing to capture in a photograph? How do you find your focus there? Well, it, it would usually, you would take photos at different angles, sure. as many as you could, sure. and, and make a, you know, a nice grouping. Sure. Um, here we have to get them done so I get one shot sure um there let's see there was um a small diorama of like a a crowd of zombies okay and one guy standing on the other end okay and I just made it so um so you could see the desperation of the last stand exactly and and made it as clear as I could and it was so well done it really it wasn't a lot of work for me, you sure, know. I was sure. just capturing the amazingness that they had put. So the artist had figured out what down. they wanted this focus to be. You found it. Right. And then you just, you captured that in the photo. Yeah. Where For the people who aren't at Nova this weekend, that aren't able to attend, where can they see all these photos? I believe that a lot of them will be uploaded to Facebook. Okay. Um, they're already being uploaded to Flickr. Okay. Um, they may put some on Instagram. Sure. Um, so even if they, they're not here this weekend, they can already start to see some of what you guys Oh, yeah. We try to push them out ASAP because awesome. there's a lot of people who would have loved to be here. Yeah, sure. Um, and we want them to still feel included. Sure. That's great. So before you got into miniature <clears throat> photography, you right. did you really just anything that caught your eye. Right. But non-traditional photography. Right. Landscapes, like still life, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Okay, cool. So did you find that the transition from that into miniature photography was simple or that you had to change gears quite a bit? Um, I did have to change gears um, and teach myself something new, but that's the great thing about photography is there's so many fields and so many things to photograph Uh that that you find inspiration everywhere. Did you know much about, uh, because Nova is, let's be honest, it's kind of a geekery, everyone's having a good time, Mm -hmm. a lot of miniatures. Did you know anything about this world before you were asked to photograph for Nova? Oh, no. Okay. Um, not at all. Okay. But I got to say that everybody here is super friendly. Sure. And it's like a big family. Yeah. Um, we're, everybody's having fun everywhere you go. And, and every chance I get when I meet somebody, I'm going to photograph them. Sure. I talk to them as well. Sure, sure. Hey, what are you doing here? Sure. You know. Do you find that, um, because I know with a lot of photographers, um, the quiet of their studio is helpful. But here, it's very, very hectic, Mm -hmm. a lot of running around, a lot of games going on. Do you find that's distracting, or do you find that actually is exciting for you? Oh, I love it. 
keep, yeah. it keeps me on my toes. Nice. And uh, it's it's also very keeps me interested. Sure. Uh, you know, being if I was stuck in a room and it was quiet. Sure. I mean, I'd be I'd be craving the sure. human contact. So you like to engage. Oh yeah. As opposed to like, let's say, taking a picture of like a building or a hill. Like these are actual people playing with with their favorite things, and you get to sort of capture that. Absolutely. That's awesome. Yeah. Great. That. Okay. Great. <laughs> that that um, probably didn't pick that up. So you want to ask it again? I just uh, wanted to know like what your favorite moment was, or what you know captured, maybe inspired you, or that you loved uh, highlight, I guess, of this weekend. Okay. Um, well, you know, fun is always a priority. Uh, and last night, I was asked to photograph the lounge. Uh, where they're raising money for breast cancer awareness. So it was like a bar. Yeah, there's a bar, <laughs> yeah. and every drink you buy goes toward the charity. Um, and the father of the Nova Open, uh, Michael Brandt, he also has a band. And so his band was playing, and everybody was uh, drinking and singing along, and, and they have uh, songs that you act along with, put a lampshade on your head. It's very silly. That's fun. Um, so... I needed to get some great shots of the band and all the people, so I climbed up on the furniture and was walking along the backs of the couches, and I I stood on stools. Anything to get the shot. Anything to get the shot, and I got some really great shots of of Michael and his wife just having a great time up there. They're very talented, and um, everybody, you know, the camaraderie is, is what I wanted to catch, and those are definitely always my favorite moments when you see people getting along and meeting each other and having a great time. And that separates this con, I feel like, from a lot of cons. The culture mm-hmm. is so nice at the top, it can't help but trickle down. Exactly. Well, CJ, thank you for your time this morning. I really appreciate your your, your, your advice. It's Absolutely. Great. Thank you, so, Caleb. Thank you. So we're sitting here with Jessica Rich, the brush, brush mistress. Yes, brush mistress. Brush mistress, which is a little harder to say than I thought it would be. It is. <laughs> at the Nova Open. Mm-hmm. And um, so first off, people are raving about your classes. They're really liking them. So we wanted to talk a little bit about what brought you into the hobby in the first place. I know you have an art back. Um, I do. Uh, I loved illustrating and painting when I was in high school um, and continued to do it into my adult life, but not for monetary gain, just something I did as a hobby. Um, I started going to a comic shop uh, that we had and really, really wanted to... Do I need to talk about No, you're ah, fine. Awesome. You're fine. Um, I just wanted to make sure it was peace. I, I wanted those old pewter wizards that were holding the crystals, but I was just horribly, horribly broke at that point in my life. So I agreed to do a trade of painting some 40K Gretchen at the time Okay. in exchange for store credit. So those were the very first models I ever painted. A little quid pro quo. Yeah. And it was, uh, they, were, they were awful. They were green and blue and red and silver. Okay. And I hated every second of it. And I'm like, I am never going to do this. Like, ever again. This is lame. Um, so it's humbling to know that even <laughs> someone who's great as you has started, like the rest of us start, started at the bottom. Oh, yeah. No, absolutely. I, I, I got color where I thought color should sort of be, but I'm pretty sure I didn't stay inside the lines. Sure, sure. And then the next time I painted a miniature was for my Warhammer Fantasy roleplay campaign that I was playing in, okay. um, who my GM, now husband, husband was running. Okay. Um, and he needed Heinrich Kemmler done up. And that was the first model where I took my time and I spent like three days on it and it was a dry brushed train wreck um, but I was really really proud of it and I still have it so that's that's how I got started and then I discovered that people could do this for money and I'm like I want to do that too so 
so I did. <laughs> so on the first couple figures, you're kind of getting your feet wet. What? How did you start to make the transition to higher end? What brought you to make to want to make a, make a better paint job? Uh, I I wanted the best looking Mordheim Warband at Games Day. Like I just wanted mine to people go, hey, so and so painted that. I discovered there were awards. There were you know you could get kudos for doing a good job. And that was something where I had never really gotten with my two-dimensional artwork. And I'm like, I want some warm fuzzies. So I found the Golden Demons, and I started looking at what was being done. And I realized, dude, I am like, I am nobody. I am nothing. I, I've got to learn all I can and get better. So it was really the, the Golden Demons and, and seeing the works of Todd Swanson and Jennifer Haley and Ann Forrester, Aaron Lovejoy, all those cats at the time, where I was like, I want my stuff to look like that. Um, but it's taken me so long <laughs> to well, do that. <laughs> so now back in the day, like I saw some of your first awards on your website were listed mm-hmm. in 2005. Mm-hmm. Now this is, although YouTube existed back then, there weren't the number of resources to learn painting no. then that there are now. So how did you begin to learn those higher-end techniques? Not only just looking at people's work, but how did you implement it? Uh, wow. Um, <laughs> I don't, I'm, I'm a very self-taught person. Sure. Um, so... I had really only taken one seminar, and then I found some articles, I want to say written by the McVeighs. Um, like Studio McVeigh. Studio McVeigh. But they weren't Studio McVeigh then. It was just, you know, the out, McVeighs. The McVeighs sure. You know, these awesome, cool British people. Um, so I, I found their articles online and read them, like how to do gemstones and things like that. And then just looked at the effects I was seeing and tried to figure it out for myself. And I realized I couldn't be shy. I had to approach other painters and find them. So when Kumani or not popped up, I'm like, oh, I'm just going to start like messaging people and asking, how did you do X? And so that's where I started getting all the information. And the only seminar um, I've taken besides Carol. Carol's class. Carol Kenneth. Um, uh, uh, I, I, I can't. I'm always afraid I'm going to butcher his last name. <laughs> so the only wow. seminar I took before Carol's was uh, Jeremy Bonnet, and that was like I'm. I, I'm going to paint like that. So yeah. I don't know if I even answered your question. No, you I'm did. Running you on like did. three you and a half hours. No, sleep. it's okay. It's okay. <laughs> so. Um, well, let's talk about that, for example. You you teach a lot. You I taught do. probably, what, nine classes this weekend, maybe more? Ten. Ten classes this weekend. Okay. So how do you, do you love teaching? Do you find that imparting that knowledge to others is kind of repaying what those early mentors did for you? Absolutely. Um, I, it's, I try and make myself as available as possible uh, for questions, even when I'm not teaching my classes, um, because... I didn't have that accessibility. I, I couldn't just go up and, and see people. So I'm giving back. I want to impart and help people learn and help people grow and make it easier for them than it was for me because there weren't things like this. I couldn't go and, you know, take eight classes in a weekend. Sure. Um, so I like being able to teach and impart my knowledge. And How many cons a year would you say you teach at? Oh, this year I've cut it down. Um, I think I'm only doing three or four. Last year I did 12. Wow. Okay. So I, kind I, of burned you out a little I, bit. I needed a soft year. <laughs> sure, sure. That makes perfect sense. Yeah. So ReaperCon for sure. Absolutely. No, I, I am almost always at ReaperCon. I have been for the past four years sure. and will continue to do so. What's the other con this year, the other third one? Uh, uh, Adepticon. Okay. Um, I technically didn't teach, but I was demoing at the Secret Weapon booth so people could come up and pick my brain. So this kind of wraps up your, your this, con This wraps up my tour for the year, except for ReaperCon coming up in October. Um, a lot of the pieces on your website. I'm going to talk. We're going to touch on Dance Macabre real quick. Yeah. So, where do you get the inspiration for these pieces? Like, uh, are these are these models like a kit bash combination? Do you sculpt these yourself? Do you dream these up? 
and then somehow <laughs> find a way to bring them to life because a lot of these pieces are just individually, you know, they're amazing. They're really works of art. Thank you. Yeah. Um, yeah, so when I started looking at the works um, that were winning at the Crystal Brush, I wanted to do something more than just a stock model that was painted. And this hobby has really started to grow and, and branch into the artistic field. So I wanted with Dance Macabre to incorporate... Um, I, my inspiration from pointillism and uh, look, I had done a lot of pre-Raphaelite um, imposter pieces for other clients. So I wanted to take those classical images and classical tones and apply them in a three-dimensional capacity. Um, as far as the overall inspiration, I just wanted to create something really dark and, and creepy and, and reflective of me as a person. <laughs> Can you tell us a little bit more about the story behind it? Like, in your um, mind, what is the story going on with this, this woman? That, that she, the, the piece that is hanging from the tree, um, if you'll look when she, if you hold the piece at the right angle, it, she's a mirror image of the skull holding the bee, and their hands actually overlap and can both hold the bee at the same time. And that skeleton, that, skeleton, that dead thing surrounded in a forest of beauty, is how she sees herself. I see. And on the opposite side, there's a reflection where it's just a sad woman kind of deal. It's a very corny cheese ball, no, no, it's, self-deprecating it's, it's, insight. It's where, self-reflective. Yes, yeah. and and it's I, I was feeling very dark and very stagnant at the time um, in my career and where I was going and what I was doing. Um, and it was shortly after I did that piece when I wound up stopping studio work altogether. So in some ways, it's a mere reflection of where you were in your life at that time. Absolutely. Um, Val uh, was one of our painters. Mm -hmm. uh, he knows a lot more about technique and that kind of thing. So mm -hmm. I'm going to let him ask a sure. few questions about just your style. Okay. Yeah. Um, well, actually, kind of highlighted that, saying that you were employing a lot of the classical, like the uh, neoclassical and pre-Raphaelite uh, uh, color palettes. Now, we, when you were just starting, um, I know that you were... Usually gamers and painters, hobbyists, they start to a certain level. They're trying to just, you know, figure it out, the application and such. When did you find that the actual technical aspect is not that is not the main point of doing a piece of art? It's the artistic image, the essence, you know, the theme that's uh, most important. Um, and when, 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 did that, when did that shift happen? That, that, that shift happened um, after years of, of being asked to copy other people's styles, but whether it be a two-dimensional artists like um, just pre-Raphaelite Brotherhood. I remember yeah. I did the Aries Night covered in the pre-Raphaelite paintings. Like okay. being asked to copy other people's work time and time again, and I have all of these skills. I know how to glaze, stippling. I can do cross hatching. Yeah. Screw it. It's about yeah. what the it's about what the model conveys, and I want to make people feel with three dimensional art the same way they look at paintings, and they go, yeah. I, I I get a vibe from that, yeah. and so I just I, I reached a snapping point where I they said enough. I have all this baggage. I just want I have enough to be able to actually have get the viewer to feel something from this, and not just say that oh that's a perfect blend because that's. That's the easy part, Absolutely. right? Absolutely, yeah. That's no, not the, the main focus. The, the learning, the technique, it's, it, there are so many painters that have varying techniques, and I just really want to make someone feel something. Right. Uh, so um, that was the shift for me. Yeah. In a couple of years, actually, within this hobby, especially with the cool meaning not being the blog, you know, we have these top-level guys starting to push the envelope in the miniature painting. Um, there was right now we're seeing more and more people actually understanding that this is an art form 
right? The, in perce- general perception, there is fine art like canvas painting, whatever. But miniature pa- miniature painting has is just beginning to make that leap. If you know it's I mean. always a hobby first. It's always been perceived second. as a hobby, and right now with the uh, like flagship painters as you are, they are seeing more and more of that. Uh, do you think that? How do you think that will that ever evolve into its recognizable standalone outside just the community perception? Because I know a lot of artists still struggle with that. You know, we have these ideas where we're going beyond just what a miniature is being sculpted as. Uh, we're seeing a lot of more co-op pieces being done with between sculptors, painters, especially with crystal brush. Um, I, I actually think that it's already made the leap. It's just that um, a lot of us are not aware of it. Um, I recently went to um, my um, local modern art museum, and we had an exhibit put on by High Fructose, which is a pop surrealist movement magazine and has been for a very long time. Um, and there are so many three-dimensional miniature pieces there that I was just astounded. I'm like, this actually exists, and no one else seems to have taken notice. And I think that we just need to be more upfront and open and go, hey, look, we are making art as well, and we're keeping it too much in the community. We need to, I think, as artists, actively go to our local galleries and to our local shows and, and not present it as, look, I painted this little model, but here is my work present of art. Presented as an art form. Presented so. as an art form and stop saying, I painted this little model that someone else sculpted. Right. That, do you, uh, I would actually love to see this happen. I had this idea for a long time, tried to actually start uh, organizing this. But um, how do you see, do you think it's going to be possible to maybe get these top-level guys and put up a classically art show with just these pieces? You know, have everybody maybe create, maybe going around a certain theme, making that push out there to more generalized public and getting that awareness out. There are there are several of us already that are. I, I can't talk a lot about it, but there are several of us so already trying to trying to plan a show. Um, we we are we are working on a venue, and I wish I could share more information. <laughs> With you guys spread out across the country and in the world, multiple countries. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. How how would uh, how would you pick a centralized location for a show like that? Uh, we're going to try and have to coincide when we have classes um, because the classes are what funds us being able to make the works of art. We, we, we teach a lot of the classes. We want to impart our knowledge, but monetary gain is nice too. Uh, so you, you know, you do this we're all like, time. let's all teach a bunch of classes yeah. out in California kind of thing and then wind up having a gallery out there. Is your income solely I mean, based I'm on your teaching out. career at this point? And in, or? Um, no, actually. I, I I make a lot more money doing private commissions than I ever did doing studio work, sure. and I'm now I, I, I'm seeking out patrons as opposed to someone says, "Hey, I have this model painted like this for me." Um, I'm I've found people that are willing to just give me money and say, "I want this kind of mood, and I can provide that for them." And I so like a true patron, like an art patron. Yes, I I, I have patrons. Now, yeah, so they're not clients awesome. so much as they're just they're 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 allowing you to do what you do. Yes, they. They, they've given me the trust and give me the reins. That's actually how... Classical dust, art collector. It is, yes. You're collecting not 
we're not giving you a theme, but we're collecting what you're creating. Yes. It's unfortunately in the fine art field that kind of start, died within the century, but yes. it's amazing that it's actually being right now in essence kind of reborn in this particular field. It is. It, it's really fantastic. It, so now it, these exciting. collectors that are your patrons are these uh, like high-end miniature collector enthusiasts, or are these art collectors that have recognized that miniatures are a form of art? Um, one gentleman is absolutely an art collector, um, so I would say that yes, he's that, that, that gentleman is acknowledging that miniatures are a form of art, um, considering he has miniatures that go back hundreds of years. Wow. Um, so that's kind of cool. Uh, yeah, What's no. that like to work on a miniature from centuries ago? Uh, toxic. Okay. <laughs> because of the lens and stuff like that. Okay. Would it be? Uh, would it be? Lots of gloves. Sure, sure. Could Could you give us a general idea of what some of those patrons how they compensate you? Like, is it in the thousands of dollars? Is it yes. Anything? Okay, great. So, um, my my my. I don't paint anything now for the. Numbers. That's tacky. Yes, sure. thousands. thousands of <laughs> okay, great. So between that and your and your artwork, this is your full time life now. It is. That's great. It is. That's and, great. You know, it's, it's exhausting good. as it is. It's really tiring, but yeah, no. Do, doing the three dimensional models um, and being being able to be given free range is just something that I wanted for so long and didn't realize it until I did Dance Macabre. And uh, then you know I'm getting back into the two-dimensional art and finding that all of my years spent painting miniatures has given me a deeper understanding and appreciation for all those techniques I had previously learned. And using them again, I'm like, yay, I remember. Are you bringing anything from the visual, the feeling aspect of miniatures? Because, to be frank, it, miniatures, when they already do set a mood, they already set a style... Uh, theme, if you will. Are you trying to bring any of that and crossing over into your two dimensions? Wow, that's a tough question. <laughs> uh, I don't. I'm not even sure how to answer that. Um, I, I guess subconsciously, yes, because I've been approached by miniature sculptors that want to sculpt my paintings. They're like, I can envision that as a miniature. That's got a really cool vibe and it's something I would do. So yes, I, I Kev White from Hassle Free is going to be sculpting one of my watercolor paintings where I'm like, holy awesome. crap. So there'll be a range of so Jessica cool. Rich miniatures. Perhaps one day. That would be really cool. There's going to be one for right now. One so. for right now, which, which could grow. <laughs> yeah. Um, so just to kind of round up with Dance Macabre, you're talking about you were in a dark place in your life. Yeah. Now you seem you seem very positive, very upbeat, tired for sure. Uh, so what's next? Like what's on the horizon for you? What um, what energy are you going to take from this into your next piece? And Another really dark piece. Okay, all right. I wear a very good mask. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and maybe part of that is just we all have a darkness in us. We do. And um, you're just allowing yourself to reflect on it through your work. Well, there, there's a piece I've been working on for three years called Winter Was Hard um, that I've been just ruminating on, and I work on it when I'm in that dark certain, zone. Put, put that certain mood so you can convey that easy, faster and uh, more vividly. You can catch on to those feelings and translate them Absolutely. exactly into Absolutely, and, and instead, yeah. of, instead of ruminating and wallowing yeah. in those dark feelings, I can put it towards something that you use other it. people can see. Okay. Yes, I'm using that, you know, the bad mojo, if you will. And then I have a piece in there called Corporal Sparkle Pants where I was bored out of my mind and I wanted to make it fun, so I did. Sure. Uh, so, you know, you can do the same thing with positive energy, but yeah, no, I've, I'm working on a dark piece right Darker now. moves always seem to grasp the viewer yes. faster. They create a more uh, vivid impact on the viewer. Always, This has always been in any form of art. 
for some reason, unfortunately, as it is, making something positive always kind of you know gets perceived. Ah, okay, that's kind of corny. But unfor- unfortunately, unfortunately, yes. but the contrast I've seen um, actually known is that creating that playing on that contrast. You know, you can always create something that's you know flat out. You know, hundred percent, hundred ten percent sit, but creating the conflict. You know, that's been always a theme in for in art form, yes. always. So yes. that that's the most interesting. Let me ask you this: regarding your using, you know, you're utilizing a certain moon set. Uh, have you ever worked on a piece that you had to recreate that because of a deadline, just getting something done? You you know, using that baggage, using your baggage. You know, your previous. Okay, I remember how I felt then. Have Maybe I ever have I ever induced it. an an emotional state? Is yeah. That yes, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. No. Um, I, you, I, I've had to like force force myself to like just be in a fit of depression. But that <laughs> has been. I hear you said you had to force yourself. It's not like you just recreate. You know, using that as a baggage. Okay, yeah. I know how this is going to be. And just utilizing those emotions and trying to bring them in, keeping it separate, not allowing yourself to actually go down back into those emotions. But you, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, it's it's not necessarily going back down in. But I, I have various musical playlists, um, and I have one that's just it's all of the heavy stuff. It's songs yeah. from the heavy days. So you do utilize music to set them or create that. Oh, absolutely. That. So. Right on. <laughs> so yeah, I've got I've got my classical, I've got my high energy, yeah. I've got my super dark, I've got my aggro. Um, so I, if if I need to recreate a certain mood or emotion for a client or a piece, yeah. I will You're utilizing those, utilize as, those as tools and specifically understanding. Okay, this is a tool I'm going to use. And, yes. Considering you have uh, it takes years to develop some of these pieces, if Winter's Heart's been a three-year project, would it go say, be safe to say that your home is filled with? many pieces in various stages and, <laughs> oh, yeah. and that at, at, at any time we see your pieces come out it's not like it's uh, someone's worked all year it's like some of these pieces you've been working on for years yes. and in addition to that many pieces simultaneously are being worked on so these are all sort of different facets of your personality. They are. Yeah. So um, you're, you're really taking yeah. advantage of that. What you're, what you're doing is when you're in the right mood, you work on the right piece. Yes. And then when it's ready, when you're satisfied, you present. Yes, absolutely. That's great. That is 100% correct. That's fantastic. <laughs> Do you have any other questions for Ms. Rich? I'm trying to think of something. <laughs> I mean, I want to start going deeper and deeper into the art- artistic story, but... Uh, to, you know, we got to keep it at a certain because we, this oh, yeah. is not really a kind of art podcast. Now. Absolutely. So, yeah. but well, um, we, it, maybe we could reach out to you again for yeah. future. Not interviews. a problem at all. Yeah, no, I've, I've done Skype interviews and all that. So, yeah, no problem at all. It's well, been a pleasure. Thank you for your time today, Mr. Thank you so we, we love your work. And thank we, you we so much. To see more. So I'm speaking with Dave Taylor of Dave Taylor Miniatures, of course. Yep. Uh, and, uh, you know, lots of our, our client base are big fans of your work, your painting, that sort of thing. Cool, so we you. wanted to sort of just, you know, congratulate you guys on all the success of Cool Mini and then talk about what's going on this weekend. I'm looking around myself here in your in your very impressive display, by the way. I feel like I'm in a store, not in a not in a hotel. Right. Like you yep. guys have taken a lot of time to build this so that clients and consumers can really showcase the product the way it's meant to be showcased. Lighted cases upfront displays, tiered displays, so clients get exactly, they know exactly what they can get from you guys. Yep, exactly. It, it, it does look fantastic. The um, all, all the miniatures themselves as well that are on display. Right. Fantastic sculpts, spectacular yeah. paint jobs. Yeah. We're, and we were uh, talking earlier, the, paint, the guys who painted most of this stuff are, I want to say, Big Craft, is that uh, correct? Big Child. So, big Child. Um, all of our, um, almost all of our Dark Age range that we have on display here has been uh, sculpted and uh, painted by uh, Big Child Creatives from sure. Spain. Uh, 
and and they've done a great job. They've done a spectacular job. Yeah, um, almost uh, basically almost all of our uh, Wrath of Kings um, pieces have been painted uh, either by Jen Haley or uh, a lot of your listeners. Will of course, of know. course, yeah. Um, Jen does wonderful stuff, uh, and she also manages our uh, our freelancers, our painting freelancers. So, okay. um, so she acts as kind of like a quality control specialist yep. she, to make sure the newer painters are doing it the way that you guys expect the level of detail. Yeah, oh, she, she's the one who contacts them. She works with them. She uh, works out when she can send models to them. Sure, gets them back in. Uh, so yeah, she controls that whole process. Sure, um, and does a spectacular job. And sure, it's, that's that's the evidence that we see before us in the. Uh, the I think thing. that I think that although people know cool mini or not. Uh, in my, and I'm the average consumer, I would think. Well, maybe not the average, but um, I know that when I go to Cool Mini or not, it's not only look at high quality miniatures, but you guys also now produce some of the highest quality games I see out there. I mean, between lots of what I'm looking at here, Wrath of Kings, you know, uh, Dark Age, and now I know you guys just acquired Zombicide from Guillotine. Yep. Um, so you guys have an incredible range of products. Can you talk a little bit about each one? Uh, sure. Um, I'm I'm specifically a, uh, a miniatures guy. Sure. Uh, we can, I can talk in generalities about the board games. We sure, sure. We'll do that. At, at, well, let's talk about Wrath of Kings, yeah. for example. So for someone who, who's coming into Wrath of Kings not knowing what it is, can you give me a brief overview of what Wrath of Kings is? Uh, sure. Ba- Wrath of Kings is basically it's a uh, skirmish-based uh, steam fantasy game. Uh, I say steam fantasy, and there's uh, technology, yeah. uh, sort of a lot of steampunk look to some of the models. Sure. Uh, it's, um, it's the continent of Arcania, the king has died, uh, and all these uh, houses are vying for the supremacy over the rest of the, uh, the continent. They've all chosen different ways to uh, try and get an edge. Mm-hmm. Um, most of them involve making packs with dark forces. Okay. Uh, so the Nasir, for example, are, um, they all wear masks, uh, which are um, bound with uh, fire elementals, fire demons, um, which enhance their fighting abilities. Nice. Uh, Hadros uh, have sort of uh, been listening to the dark vo- uh, voices of the Deep Ones. and okay. uh, uh, had their people turned into fishmen. Sure. Um, so it's a darker skirmish game. It, it is. It's, 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 not, a, it's not a light and fluffy skirmish game. Like, these guys have made deals with devils, and they're coming for blood. Pretty much. All yep. right, very yep. good. So we have, uh, we have Gar- House Garitzi, uh, who very very popular show this weekend. They're the uh, vampires and werewolves. Um, the werewolves are... Uh, everybody look at those and know them from uh, Confrontation uh, by Rackham. Um, yeah, I mean, Confrontation um, is known for incredible sculpts. Yep. And I can see here that that has not diminished at all. Yep. A lot of the, the sculptors we have working for us are uh, former uh, Rackham sculptors, mm-hmm. uh, and they just do, they continue to do spectacular work. Now, um, these are, are these, I'm guessing these are originally hand sculpted uh, before moving into production. Yep, we have, uh, well, we have a mix, um, completely mixed. I think uh, some of our, the original miniatures might have been uh, traditionally sculpted. Uh, but now, pretty much every model that we have coming through is uh, digitally sculpted. That's fantastic. Um, so you guys are incorporating new technologies into old practices. Yeah, exactly. So um, that's that's what we're doing for Wrath of Kings. Sure. Uh, Wrath of Kings is all produced in uh, in plastic. Okay. Um, Dark Age is a little different. Okay. Uh, in that everything, almost everything there is traditionally sculpted. Okay. So it's that, it's that sort of flip. Well, why don't we take a look at let's take a look at Dark Age? Sure. So we'll take a look at the aesthetic difference, maybe, and also just the general differences of the game. So, if Wrath of Kings is a steampunk skirmish game set in a fantasy setting with a dark swing, what is Dark Age? Uh, dark Age, um, as the name would suggest, is, is also dark. Okay. Um, but uh, it's an apocalyptic sci-fi. Um, sometimes we've in the past we've said it's a post-apocalyptic, but really the apocalypse happened for these people happened 500 years ago. Okay. Uh, so. 
apocalyptic ending. So it's not recent. This is not Terminator Judgment Day. This is whoever the dregs that have survived that long war yep. and how their society has evolved. Exactly. Uh, so thing, things aren't looking good for them, though. It's not all, <laughs> it's not all bright and rosy. And sure, sure. Um, so Dark Age has uh, been around for quite a while. It's ba- a lot of it is based on the artwork of Brom. Uh, right. which a lot of listeners will I knew him from Dark Sundays back at D&D his concept art was incredible yep. and it absolutely established the aesthetic of that game yep. it made that game and now he's apparently taken that and brought it right into Dark Age yep so uh, Dark Age has been around for uh, a while in, in various forms uh, so our miniature range is uh, sort of spans uh, a decade yeah uh, some of our older sculpts uh, were great sculpts in their time uh, the Sculpting aesthetic now is, is quite different. Sure. Um, very refined, uh, very dynamic. Uh, so we've been going through over the last few years, uh, re-sculpting some of our older ranges. Sure. Um, as we're standing here in the booth, we're standing in front of the uh, Forsaken display. Uh, all of these uh, miniatures have been uh, re-sculpted in the last uh, few years. So classic and players who have known Dark Age for a while can continue to enjoy their miniatures, but if they're looking for an updated miniature, that's available as well. Absolutely, right? absolutely. Uh, we, and we have we have guys who've been playing for 10 years, we have guys who've been playing for 12, they're, they're always bring out their, their classic models, and sure. they're super excited. Can we talk about this faction here on the end real quick? So, because sure because we're in a futuristic game, this one kind of stands out to me because it almost looks like a Mayan, aztec kind of culture. Um, which, at first glance, I would say doesn't fit. But when you closely look, these guys are actually, they look to be sort of biotech engineered. They're robotic. So they, they, do, they do fit the aesthetic, but they're so different than anything else I've seen before. They really caught my eye. Yep. So um, basically, the, uh, what we have here are the, uh, the Kukulkani. Okay. Um, the story for the Kukulkani is that the, um, there's a spacefaring race uh, called the Quattle. Okay. Uh, they travel the galaxy, they land on the planet, they harvest bioenergy okay. uh, to power their technology. Okay. Uh, they, they believe in the cycle of life. Uh, things are born, things die. Sure. Their bioenergy is harvested and reused. Okay. Um, so it's like planting a crop and they later come in and harvest. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so they move around the galaxy, they drop down, they, they do these sort of things. Um, Thousands of years ago, they landed on uh, a planet called Atta, uh, which was inhabited by um, Dragiri sure. at the time. We were one of the alien races in our um, in our world, and they normally would walk in, they'd slaughter everybody, harvest that bioenergy, uh-huh. and take off. Okay. The Dragiri put up a fierce resistance and actually fought them back off the planet. Okay. So they put a little like pin in. So it's the in first it. time they'd lost, yep. and now they're kind of angry. I'm sure about that. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So uh, they, they they put a pin in and said, "We'll, we'll come back to this right, later. We'll, right. We will avenge this later." Sure. Um, the Kuku, uh, sorry, the Kuatl landed on Earth at some point as well, uh, and uh, in Central America. And, uh, I guess, influence that in culture. Yep, influence that culture. The, the Mayans uh, worshipped them as gods, uh, serpent gods, and uh, provided sacrifices for them. Sure. Uh, Which they harvested for their bioenergy. The bioenergy, yep. So, uh, one point in the, uh, in the past, the Kuatl were ready to move on. Mm-hmm. One of them, Kukulkan, said, I really like these guys. Sure. I really like these Mayans. Can I take some with me? Because sure. I could send them down to a planet to harvest the bioenergy, and we wouldn't have to risk ourselves. There you go. So, Hire somebody to do your dirty work. Exactly. And they were so super efficient and very excited about being uh, sort of harvesting and doing those sacrifices. Sure. So he chose 1,001 uh, to come with him. They sacrificed the rest uh, for the, their bioenergy. As they would. And left. 
Very good. So over the uh, the next couple of thousand years, or several thousand years, uh, they have been augmented. They've been uh, changed. Uh, they think nothing of uh, like removing a limb to have it replaced by some sort of technomantic piece of weaponry. But they're just upgrading. Yep, exactly. Uh, and as they go through, they sort of go through a cycle. They they might when they're young, they might start uh, as sort of pure kukukani. They go through, they're upgraded, 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 and they upgrade through a cycle to mm-hmm. come back to being pure Kukulkani. I see. Um, so, over time, uh, while they were off doing other things in the galaxy, humans found out of renamed it Samaria, which is where Dark Age is set, uh, and they found some of the Kukulkani technology. Okay. They reverse engineered the, their bioenergy uh, batteries, turned them into entropic cells for their robots. So the robots could operate and uh, live on biomass, basically. So any sort of biomass. It could be plants. It could be whatever. Um, So when the uh, core, who are our robotic faction, were reactivated after the the apocalypse uh, that occurred 500 years ago in the the world, um, they started to send out this signal, uh, this pulsing signal. And so they got that signal. uh, The Kukulkani have seen that and said, what's going on here? Right. Oh, it's that planet. Right. It's the one we put the pin in. Yeah. Yeah. We better, we better deal we with better that. We better go check finally. on that. So they've, they've landed and found that these um, these soulless, lifeless husks are using their sacred technology. Oh, wow. And they're not happy about so it at all. So to them, it's almost an anathema. It's almost an abomination. It is. Yeah. It's Instead of returning that bioenergy to the cycle, it's right. siphoning it off. Sure, sure. They don't want that. It's diesel fuel versus karma. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. So... Uh, that's what the, the Kukulkani are doing. So, yeah, they do look different. They are different. but In a great way. Yeah. In, in oh, a yeah. way that, like, I've never seen a, a science fiction-y kind of range, or post-apocalyptic range, rather, yeah. that has that aesthetic. Yeah. Which is why it stood out to me so much. Yeah. Oh, definitely. We we're definitely uh, know it's a, a sci-fi game. Oh, yeah. yeah. Without a doubt. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so, yeah, that's, that's what they've done. They have great, huge walking temples. Yeah, they have sure. uh, priests. They have Kuatlai, uh, who are uh, winged serpents. Uh, some of the models you can see here, um, obviously your listeners can't see them, but uh, the chosen of Kuatlai are people who have volunteered to have one of their arms cut off and replaced with two larval Kuatlai. Like a host? Like a host. Basically, okay. th- those Kuatlai will grow, feeding off the bioenergy of that person. It's both disgusting and evocative and cool. Yep. I-, I like it all at one time. Brutally. Yeah, brutally cool. Uh, so, Dave, I really appreciate your time today. What can people look for for Cool Mini or not in the future to be excited about? What's coming down next? Okay. Um, for Dark Age, we actually have a two-player starter set, which we're super excited about. That's great. Um, it'll be coming out uh, later in the year, probably in around November, December. Sure. Um, so right we'll around Christmas time. Right around Christmas, Christmas time. Gift. Indeed. Indeed. Uh, we have uh, two sub-factions in there. We have um, the... Uh, St. Isaac sub-faction from the Forsaken okay. uh, who are all technological basically everybody's got guns and they're robot. Uh, there's some robots in there Okay. up against uh, the Icecast Dragiri who okay. are the uh, big hulking brutal aliens with crystal swords okay. and, uh, and so classic armor. conflict there something yep. for everybody they should yep. find one of the factions that exactly matches what they're looking for yep uh, awesome. so, and, and it's very much that thing it's, it's robots with lasers against alien races but in a yeah. in in the cool dark age classic setting. sci-fi in a in a cool set yeah what about for wrath of kings for wrath of kings um wrath of kings we've just uh this month uh, we should have our new book out uh okay. new, new edition book, new edition um the when i say new edition it's really uh 1.01 so it's an update yeah an so update classic there. players will not be lost but new players will come in with a fresh start yep and there's a uh, 
minimal changes at all uh, in the rules. But we have another 30 units uh, that we're presenting in that book. So over the next year, we'll be uh, releasing those uh, two boxes at a time. Uh, we'll cycle through the five different factions that we have so that any time... Uh, somebody who just plays uh, Nasir, for example, sure. uh, any, in any three-month period, there will be a Nasir release. So there's always something for them to look for. Yeah, there'll be there's some... always something to add to their army. Yep, it, and it gives everybody a chance to get their models assembled, get them painted, mm-hmm. try them out on the battlefield, see what they want to do with the next release as it yeah. comes along. So it's staggered. It's not like dumping it all at once. They can take their time, they can do the product right, yep. and then they can be excited moving down. Exactly. That's what we're, uh, we're really excited about seeing that, uh, that process move through. So, uh, I think for a client base, cool. they like that because then they can budget for that. Exactly. Yep. Very cool. Yep. Well, good. I'm very excited to see it. I can't wait to see what you guys do next. Cool. Thank, Thank you, very, you much. very much. Thanks, Caleb. Thank you. Uh, my name is Caleb Dillon with Board Council. I'm in here with Mini Duels, yes. our tabletop gun company. And it looks like you guys do a lot of MDF, MDF supplies, boards, trays, that kind of thing. Yes. Why don't you tell me a little bit about Mini Duels? Uh, Mini Duels, we're actually a game store down in Atlanta, Florida. We're in Winter Park. Okay. And um, we also do... Uh, laser engraving, MDF, uh, and the biggest thing we do right now is is the tournament trays. Okay. Uh, we just started getting into war trays right now. Sure. There's a group of guys here who kind of love them. Uh, so, so it do, looks like these are boxes. They're trays and boxes all in one. Tournament trays, and they have slide slide trays. I mean, uh, drawers on the side, yeah. so you can put all your t- tokens and everything inside. Tokens, the, dice. You got plenty of storage. Everything is modular to where the. You can put them any size you want, your cards, your nice. templates, everything in there, as well as the tops. You can put different... Uh, and you've got all sorts of different sizes there, so there's yes. different 30s, modularity. 50s, yes. Nice. So these so. are clearly designed for stuff like War Machine, for example. War, war Machine, Wrath of Kings, yeah. Wards. Uh, nice. Any of the, any of the um, ones that do 30, 40s, and 50 models. Okay. It looks like these are also look like dice rolling trays. Yeah, we also have dice trays. We do terrain. We do uh, objective markers. Nice. Uh, all of the templates for sure. Infinity, Wrath... Uh, um, X-Wing. X-Wing, Armada. We have slider trays on the top where all your stuff fits inside of them. Nice. So um, incredibly incredibly portable. Absolutely. And I, I'm looking at one right now for X-Wing, and man, it's got incredible storage capacity. Like, this yeah. thing's just holding everything. All modular as well. Sure. Everything comes out so you can fit any types of ships in there. The ghost fits in there. How long have you guys been doing um, MDF cutting and laser cutting, that kind of stuff? MDF cutting, we've probably been doing it for about a year and a half. Okay, we've great. A, we've had a store, a miniature store in Orlando for about... Four years. Okay, great. So, so a brick and mortar location down there. Absolutely, brick and mortar awesome. location down in Orlando. Very cool. And uh, so our lasers are there as well. Why should, with all the different MDF and laser cutting companies on the market, what makes Mini Duels uh, different, stand out? Why should they look at your product first? Uh, if you check out our products, a lot of our things are different. We try yeah. to go a little bit extra to what everybody else is doing. Definitely. Like the drawers on the, the bottom. The drawers of the, is I've never seen that. Right. Before. The drawers on the bottom so of the trays, just so you can have all your storage and stuff like that. Sure. Anything else, even the terrain stuff, we try to do stuff. If you look at one of our containers all of our doors open on them so, so this is like a cargo container absolutely but it actually opens up and everything slides open really cool opens up yeah so you can, you can have them on a table and they're functional yeah um, that's great we also have a line of terrain as well but right now we were you know majorly doing was the tournament trays well where can people find out more about mini duels you can go over to miniduels.com and you can see our website we have accessories on there we haven't gotten into tokens too much but uh, we're looking at that as well. So, Awesome. Great. Yep. Well, I can't wait to see more. Appreciate it. Yeah, man. Thank, Thank you. you very much. Thank you. I appreciate it. Yep. So um, I'm here with uh, Mod Cube, and the advertisement is part tokens, part dice, fully modular. Tell me about your product, what you guys are selling today. 
So what we have here is a two-part cube. So you've got the two halves. Okay. And uh, you just put them together, put in whatever tokens you want, and um, snap it closed. Sure. And, uh, you know, I don't know if you can hear that on the on the recorder, but it just, you know, goes right together. And uh, we configure it for kind of the popular game systems. You've got X-Wing, uh, 40K. We've got, you know, vehicle damage. We've got mysterious objectives. We've got uh, infantry sets. Okay. And so it's, it's just the idea is you can build it exactly for your army. So maybe you don't want smoke. Um, because you're not an Imperial player, but you want Jink, because yeah. you have a lot of flyers, and you build it how you want. It's not just one configuration like a die would be. You know, that's really smart, actually. I did not know what this was, and I was, I was, I didn't really get it. But now that you explain it that simply, that's really smart. Yeah, because um, essentially, like when people, bought, they have to buy three or four different packs of tokens to get what they need. Right. So with you guys, they can buy exactly what they need and create their own custom dice. To, to work. Yep. Yeah, it's, it's the idea is it's configurable, and, you know, even, honestly, we're here at, uh, you know, Nova, and I've heard rumors about a new edition coming out, and, you know, it, everybody has old dice from old editions that are no longer valid. Right. So the idea is, you know, you can just swap out a few tokens, update it to the new edition, sure. and, uh, you know, you're able to use it again without having to start from scratch. So so you guys have prepped this for just lots of different systems. You can use it yep. with X-Wing, 40K, Warhammer. Yep. I'm going to guess, like, Wormhorns, just all the big ones. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yep. yeah. So if guys go on your website, can they buy can they buy just what they need, or do they have to buy a pack of like different tokens together? Yeah, they can buy. Um, uh, well, it's usually so we're at modcube.com, and sure. um, you know we you know people can always email us if they kind of want something custom or, or done. You know, we work yeah. with people, but generally we, we do preset kind of mixes. So we've got a mix of vehicle damage ones, a mix of you know. Uh, infantry ones and we include enough extra tokens that you just leave off what you don't need right so there's 80 tokens in a set with 8 cubes very cool and you know you just leave out the ones you don't want put in the ones you do nice so So, um, where can people find out more about ModCube so yeah ModCube.com we're also on Facebook if you just kind of search for ModCube okay and um, uh, info at ModCube.com is our email very cool we'll be sure to check it out alright thank you man yeah thank you very much it's it's actually a really great product yeah Um, yeah I I think it's really smart so alright well, have a good show, guys. All right, thanks. Thank you. Hey, guys, this is Caleb with War Council. I am interviewing um, the creators and uh, designers from Unstable. This is a family game for age 10 and above, two to six players with an average playtime of 45 minutes. The game was designed by Jason, who is unfortunately not here today, but I am sitting with Kenny and Colleen. Hey, guys, how you doing? Good. How are you? Very, very, very good. Having a good con? Yeah, I'm loving it so far. And um, we're, this is, we're at Nova Open, as she just said, and uh, it's been great so far. And we actually have a really good location right right off the escalator, so you're getting a lot of flow traffic today. Mm-hmm. Why don't you guys tell me about Unstable? So Unstable is a very easy concept to collect blocks and build a bridge that your piece uses to get to the center of the board. However, there are these cards that really change up the dynamic um, so that it's an ever-changing game and people are, are engaged at every point in the game. Sure. So you can go from being in first to last or last to first in the blink of an eye. Okay. So for people who can't see it because it's a podcast, um, the board is, well, first off, it's well-designed. It's a good-looking board. It's nice and simple. It's just a colored wheel. And then in the center is this area where we're trying to get to, right? Yes. So the, with the blocks, we're trying to build to our color. Yep. Awesome. Um, and why don't you guys tell me a little bit about the design of the game? Like, how did you guys, how did this come about? Like, how did you guys put it together? Or how did Jason conceptualize the game? Uh, it started out as um, wooden blocks in a circle, and uh, we had bridges that you had to build to get to the middle, and yeah. then economically that didn't make sense, so we designed this game board uh, out of that vision, and we awesome. have the product that we have today. And we tried to maintain as much of the wooden integrity as we could, so yeah. our blocks are wooden, the pieces that you use are wooden. Sure. 
Um, so it keeps that wooden feel that we really liked. I like that it feels it feels like something I would have played as a kid. And so it feels intimately familiar, even though it's brand new. Definitely. Now, you guys are launching this on Kickstarter. Yes. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that campaign? When does it air? How can we find it? What is the entry donation? So we're planning on launching on September 14th. Okay. Um, we contributions can start at any amount um the amount to actually the reward level where you actually get a game is around 35 dollars um so you'll so you can get this game for 35 dollars yep that's amazing yeah that's a really good entry price and one of the big things for us is you know making sure that it's a quality game so we've been reaching out to different manufacturers getting uh prototypes to make sure that we're providing our backers with the best product possible. Definitely. And you guys, Kickstarter, what is your Kickstarter goal? What's the number you guys have to hit in order to fulfill those requirements? We don't have an exact number at the moment, but sure. uh, in the range of uh, fifteen to 20000 Okay, so that's a pretty low target. So that means not as many people have to commit as in some other Kickstarters. So essentially there's low risk for most of the consumers. So that's great. Now, on your guys' website, on your Facebook page, you've actually got this being played in parks, at bars. So it's not just an around-the-table game. Right. Like, this is really good for just about any age level. Yeah, this is a game where you can play with your family, um, if you have kids that are about 10 years of age, or you can do a lot of what we've been doing with playtesting and play with people in your 20s or 30s. It's a game that really is for everyone, and it has that competitive nature and engaging nature that makes you want to disconnect from your phone and actually spend time hanging out with your friends, playing a fun game. Sure. So how does the basic game mechanic work? I see there's a colored dice here, and each color on the six-sided die corresponds to a color of block on the board. Yes. And then you've got 2D6 as well. Yes. So it's a very simple roll-and-play game where you roll the colored dice and move uh, clockwise to the corresponding um, block. Once you get to the space, you can either take that block to uh, move to your building pile, which is what you use to build a bridge. Okay. Um, you can take one of these cards. Okay. Um, later in the game, once you've built, built up a trove of blocks uh, or cards, as some of these cards you can actually keep to play on later turns, um, you can play a card from a previous turn, you can start building your bridge. Um, and one of the fun things is that if you land on a space and there isn't a block on that space, but one of your opponents has that block, you can use the two numbered dice to battle them. Whoever rolls the highest actually wins the block. Okay, so can I try, can we do a turn? Absolutely. It, can get, it, it's, it sounds simple enough, but let's see if she had it in place. So I'm going to roll the dice, and I've got a green. So from here, do I locate a green block, or I get so, a green token? So we, move, we start, move to the green block, so okay. you can take the block, or sure. you can take a card. So I'll take a block. Okay. So you take a block. So now what do I do with the block? I just I just hold it? Yep, it's it goes into your what's known as your building pile. Okay, my building pile. And that's how you build your bridge. Okay. So then I'll roll and roll to blue. Okay. I'm gonna be the red pawn. Okay. And I'm gonna move to a blue and I'm going to take a card. Um, this is a card that I can play at a later turn. Okay. Um so I'm just gonna keep it here okay. and use it later. Alright, cool. And then um, and then uh, Kenny will roll. Kenny didn't know he was playing. <laughs> Kenny was confused. <laughs> not, not. That's not rare. So Kenny's rolled red, but he's taken the blue token and put it on a red block. And I will take the block. And he will take the block. What's the goal of the game? The goal of the game is to build a bridge and get to the middle. Oh, so you need. 
How do you make the bricks? You collect blocks. If, if you have like five of a color, you can. Your bridge can be any colors. It doesn't have to be the same color. Do you first get five. Yeah, you have to get five blocks to build an entire bridge. Then why would they not want the block? Because sometimes you um, can take these cards and it can make it so you win all of the blocks of that color. So you can win five blocks at once as opposed to just taking one. But you can also lose all your blocks too. There's risks. The different cards do different things. So some of them will make all of your blocks go away. Some of them will make your blocks unbreakable. Some of them will make... How can they get broken? Uh, by the power of the cards. The cards will uh, make your bridge break. Or it'll say if you, if you roll uh, a certain number die your bridge no longer is intact. Or if you roll a certain number, you can make your bridge fully intact. So it kind of is, uh, it's unstable, and it's a chance and luck type of thing. So the cards modify the basic game. So the simple mechanic can be modified any number of ways by the deck. Correct. Nice. Um, a lot of the cards are based on using the two-number die to roll a specific number. Sure. If you can roll that number, you get all of the specific blocks. <laughs> yeah. One of the great things about this game is that there are many games within this game that sure. are on the cards. For example, a card called Rat Race, where all pieces go back to the start. You use the number die in a race to get around the board first. Whoever gets around the board first wins all of the blue and yellow blocks. Oh, wow. So the cards will allow you to build your, your pile, your build pile, yes. faster. Correct. Yeah, and, and so sometimes, that gives you more options. Sometimes even build your bridge faster. There's a there's a card yeah. called Age Builders where you can take all of the blocks in your building pile and move them to your bridge. So oh, okay. you can build on one turn. Wow. But just as fast as it can go in your favor, it can also... Uh, ruin your, your building pile or ruin your bridge as well. Like sure. Yeah. Like, bad ones. <laughs> well, bad for the... So here's one that this uh, that we've drawn that says you lose your next turn. I'm guessing you play that against your opponent and they lose a turn. Actually, this is a read out loud. So it's oh. one where if they draw it, they... They lose their yeah. turn. So there's some risks even in drawing. Yes. Oh, okay. Especially once you... Once you build your bridge, some people are like, you know, I, I'm, I'm not going to take cards. I'm just going to choose to not do anything sure. because they want to make sure that they don't lose their, their spot. Cool. Well, it looks really exciting. It looks this like a lot of fun. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. Do you take a turn to go on to So how do you get the card? It's one of your options to do on your turn. I'll tell you, why don't I get out of here? You guys can play. You guys are, you want to engage, and I'll just let them play. Great. Thanks, Caleb. You're very welcome. Um, so, again, my name's Caleb. I'm with War Council. I'm speaking with Tectonic Dan of Tectonic, uh, Tectonic Craft Studios. It's me. And so it looks like you guys have got just a variety of MDF terrain, laser cut terrain, or laser cut trays, bases. I see some dice towers over here. Why don't you tell me a little bit about your studio? Uh, so this is a studio of uh, former or pre-architects, and we design fun stuff for games. Okay. All kinds of stuff. I, I really like... All the different settings, all the games I get into, sure. and sometimes I make jokes that I'm actually a professional fan artist. <laughs> that kind of make you know, I got my start with 40k. I made sure. some some gothic, you know, grim dark buildings, and then I worked into some war machine stuff, and then okay. into some fantasy stuff, and then the tabletop industry exploded. So I started you know making things for everything. Sure, I make a, so now I make like tournament accessories. I make measuring widgets and player aids. I make bases for Kings of War and. Um, Ninth Age and Age of Sigmar and stuff like that. 
um, as well as decorative inserts for basically anything. Yeah, the inserts are actually really, really cool. This is a neat, innovative product. So these are actually base inserts that fit into bases of different size. Already on the table, I see 50, 40, 80, that kind of thing. And you just put them right down into bevel or, or like insert bases like mm-hmm. war machine hordes, that kind of right. thing. I also have uh, base crowns, which are made to go on top of uh, beveled base okay. uh, models, yeah, models like this. Go. So I'm sitting here looking at a space marine, and it's sitting there right on top of the 32 mil, and it integrates very nicely. It makes it look like urban plating in this case, yeah. so it's kind of deck plating. Uh, nice. We've got a couple of different things for that, and more of that's coming out soon for, for some of the Age of Sigmar stuff as well. Cool. Uh, my heart lies in fantasy. <laughs> so let's talk about the trays, because now the people are moving on to Ninth Age, uh, and there's still some loyalists in Ninth Age who are kicking around. So trays are one of those things that are no longer supported by GW, but there's a need for them in the community. Oh, yeah. So I've, you guys are clearly, looks like you're helping out with that need. Sure. We have a fully customizable, uh, fully custom order form on our website for movement trays. Okay. For all, all base sizes. For, okay. you know, uh, 20s, 25s, sure. uh, 40s, 50s. Squares, cavalry, monstrous cavalry, all kinds of stuff. And uh, even as specifications, you're using like King's War uh, cavalry bases versus King's Workshop cavalry bases. Sure. So I can make sure I get exactly what you need. So like 20 versus 25. Like if I call you and I'm like, hey, I've got five cavalry, but they're King's of War, and they're 20 millimeters wide versus 25 or sure. something like they're that. Actually, just uh, it's one millimeter difference. Oh, okay. One millimeter difference. Okay. Anyways, so, uh, where's it going with this? So tray right. sizes Trace. made to size, made to scale, made to unit. Sure. So if I contact you and I say I have nine overs and I want them yep. three by three, yep, you can it's a simple, that. simple, uh, you know, chop down menus to cool. get you what you need because uh, you know getting things to people is. I also see a lot of modular terrain products down here as we move down your table. Not to mention the dice tower, which I've seen a couple people roll. Rolls real smooth, by the way. Thank you. you um, it's not it's not clunky at all. The dice literally came in, and there's kind of a slated edge up here, so the dice will actually not just get stuck; they'll actually r- move right through the tower. That's right, and it does make the correct sound. If I roll this, will it come through on the? Podcast? It will. All right, so there I go. And there you go. You can hear it. Nice and clean roll. Plus, it's actually a very aesthetic table piece. You could use this on the table as terrain and then just keep it out there to play. Yeah, sometimes I actually surprise people by tossing my dice into my terrain. Yeah, right. And suddenly, oh, this is a very interesting piece. Plus, you've got small modular pieces. I'm looking at crates, lampposts, trees even. Yeah, yeah. Um, the trees are actually pretty pretty fun. I made those for start off a war machine. I remembered that everything has forests in it, right? Yeah. And right now we just have the deciduous trees that work and then some more savannah style and evergreen as well. Sure. Well, it's a cool looking product. I'm going to let you get back to your customers. Thank you very much for your time. All right, thanks so much. Thanks, Dan. Great. So my name is Caleb Dillon with War Council and I am here with Adam from Broken Egg Games. Hello. How are you enjoying Nova so far, Adam? It's great. It's our first time out here. It's, uh, we're having a lot of fun. This is a great community. It's a really, really well-run event. So I'm super excited. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about Broken Egg Games and what you guys saw. Uh, Broken Egg Games. We started about five or six years ago with uh, high-quality display trays made from actual real wood, uh, oftentimes oak, hand-finished. Uh, that was and, what first drew yeah, me in, is these are, these are not MDF laser-cut. These no. are high-quality trays. Right, like, right. These are like... These are, they're really nice. They right. stand out. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Hand-finished. Uh, you could kill a man with it if you had yeah, to. I guess you could. Yeah, that's true. Uh, you know, but... Uh, <laughs> also doubles as a murder weapon. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Don't put on the business card, but... Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and then uh, we kind of started the uh, templates market with a lot of the different things that we make. Um, and we've kind of been known for innovation in the industry. Uh, One of the things that drew me in was you have 2D terrain. Yes, Now, this do. is like basically it, it kind of feels like 
uh, like almost a mouse pad. It's a neoprene, yep. It's right? a neoprene, and mm-hmm. but it's printed in lots of different colors, full color, lots of different texture. Right. So it's an alternative to 3D terrain. It's much more portable, I would go Way with. more portable. Yeah, so right. if you go into cons, friends' houses, that sort of thing, you don't want to damage your terrain. Yep. This is a pretty decent option. It could literally fit in your pocket. Absolutely. They all fold up really nice and tight. This is pretty innovative. I, I wouldn't have ever thought about that, and this is actually really great. Thank you. So how did you guys come up with this idea? Uh, you just know, saw the need. Honestly, the yeah, we just kind of we kind of spitball ideas, or we say, "Hey, this is terrible. Yeah. Something needs to be made that's better, sure, or higher quality, or whatever." And sometimes we just come up with the idea out of nowhere, and then you know, run with it. So, sure, uh, we're also doing the full printed acrylic. Yeah, I wanted to talk about this as well because we've seen lots of acrylic vendors out there, lots of laser cut vendors doing every every variety of template you can imagine, and you have all the basic templates. You could want X-Wing, that kind of templates, mm-hmm. six-inch measurements, four-inch, two, whatever. Right. But you've also got these, which basically look like, I mean, you described it as full-color print. Right. That's exactly what it is. Like, I'm looking at something that looks like maybe a, a four-by-one-inch flame template or something. Yeah, it's a, the standardized uh, war machine wall, the four-by-0.75. Okay. And that's exactly what it is, a flame wall. And so. so basically they can grab these, and unlike a, a laser-cut MDF, which requires a little imagination, these actually have the full-on graphic. Right. Yeah. Um, and this is also very innovative. I haven't seen people do that before. Thank you. Thank yeah, absolutely. You. Um, so what else do you guys have coming down the pike that we can look for? Uh, we have several Kickstarters coming up. Okay. Um, so, you know, if you guys are, are fans of the podcast or the show, uh, like us on Facebook because sure. we constantly do updates and release sneak peeks. Um, just but, Facebook, uh, look for Broken Egg Games? Yep, you can just search for Broken Egg Games. And I'm uh, guessing you guys have a website, probably we BrokenEggGames.com? Yep, yep BrokenEggGames.com. Awesome. Um, but, uh, you know, even something like our Elite Tokens, we work together with uh, the lead icon designer of League of Legends to come up with the artwork. So when we okay. decide to go into something, whether that be that or our metal tokens, uh, you know, we're really popular with the Game of Thrones uh, for uh, the card game crowd. Um, Infinity, uh, we do some things for, and then also even Netrunner. Um, when we go into it, we say, what is the highest level of competitive play we can reach in terms of usability and saving friendships is the sure, term sure, we like. Sure. Uh, and then also immersion is really important to us. When we, when we make something, we want, to feel, we want it to feel like it belongs in the system or in the game. When I see these tokens, that's exactly what I think of. It doesn't feel like a laser cut, what, what is this doing here? It feels integrated into the system. So that's really nice. And on the, on the trays we mentioned earlier, uh, the hashtag murder weapon, uh, you've also got a dice rolling tray off to the side. We do, yeah. Which is perfectly slotted, so you can sit there, you won't have dice rolling all around the table. Exactly. Nice, very nice. So anytime we can innovate, we do, uh, but we don't change or make something just to make it. We sure. want to make it our own, uh, classy, yeah. uh, you know, high quality. It's, it's yeah. kind I would of, say kind of everything looks very elegant here. Thank you. So, Thank you. great. All right, well, we look forward to seeing more product in the future. Awesome. Hey, guys, um, so I'm here with John from Muson Minis, and we're at the Nova Open this weekend in Arlington, Virginia, uh, Crystal City. And uh, why don't you tell me a little bit about Muson Minis and what people uh, are looking for from your guys' accessory range? It looks like you guys have a, a huge range of product. Yeah, product. yeah, so we do a lot of uh, gaming accessories. Basically, they're, they're, they're designed by gamers, so I play a lot of these games, so it just makes it easier. Um, so they tell you what they need, and you guys fill the, fill the need. Yeah, exactly. And then uh, one of the things we're really proud of is, uh, is our color tokens. Okay. Go ahead and try to scratch that with your finger. I'm going to guess that you I know it's terrible radio. I but cannot scratch yeah. it with my finger. Yeah, so they're very durable. They, they hold up very well. They're bright and vibrant. Um, so these are you know, these are double-sided acrylics, yep. and they're full color. Full color, yep. um, So I'm guessing if I look at some of these tokens, yeah, so you've got on both sides, perfect. Do any of these, like... Uh, 
So how do these all work? It looks like I'm just I'm just looking at a huge pile of what looks like hundreds of different things here. Yeah, so these are different faction sets for War Machine and Hordes. Okay. So like uh, War Machine and Hordes is a very token intensive game. So there's just tons of spells and effects. Uh, and so like all of our sets are sort of all encompassing. It's everything you would need to play the Legion of Everblight, or everything you would need to play the Conversions of Sirius, which are these two sets here. We also do Infinity tokens. We've got a general use pack that has almost every every effect that you might need. Um, and then we're also we do like pretty standard stuff like laser etched measuring widgets and that kind of stuff Mm -hmm. Um, I would say the other thing that we're known for is our dials okay these spin down dials are great for keeping track of wounds morale victory points um and what's nice about them is... Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah, the magnet, is strong, the magnet is strong enough that if you bump it, it doesn't change. Yeah. Which is Someone was telling me about this yesterday. So it's about the size of a quarter, and essentially I can sort of twist it and turn it to get to count my wounds down or up, mm-hmm. on my preference. Um, but like you said, if I just slide it across the table like a hockey puck, nothing. It's yeah. fine. It's good to go. Yep. Awesome. And then uh, you also don't accidentally pick them up and roll them, <laughs> which, which I always do. Yeah. When you use dice, that's a very common, you know, it's, it's easy to make that mistake. Yep. And my favorite part is when you go to pick them up, they're magnetic, so it's very easy. <laughs> because they're all polarized in the same diametric fashion. They all yep. just grab together. Yep. I like it. Nice. Yep. And I'm also seeing a range of support stuff here. It looks like just general templates. Uh, it looks like some 2D terrain here. Yep. Um, so if people want to just have grab some terrain for their, their travels, they yep. don't have to carry a lot of stuff with them. So 2D terrain will never replace 3D terrain. 3D course. train is prettier, but 2D train fits in your bag. Yeah, yeah. fits in your bag. You yeah. take it with you. So. Especially if somewhere like here where people are traveling on planes. They don't have a lot of time. They don't have a lot of space. Makes perfect sense. Funny thing, actually. We actually played in an airport. We had a four-hour layover. Wow. So we set up a game on the floor. That's great. People were walking by. They're like, <laughs> what is going on? And so, if someone steps on your train, they're damaged to Exactly. So. Where can people find out more about Muson Minis? Uh, MusonMinis.com. Okay. Yep. And then we also have a store at MusonStore.com. And there's a link to the store from MusonMinis.com. We also happen to host... I think 12 to 15 podcasts about various subjects. Nice. Uh, most of them are about War Machine and Hordes, but we have some about uh, Guild Ball and Infinity. Okay. Um, and so people can Malfoy. check out your yeah. podcast for all of that information. Yep. That's Absolutely. Awesome. All right, great. Well, I can't wait to see what you guys do next. All right. Thanks very much for your time. Thank you. So um, I'm sitting here with Simon of Fallout Hobbies. We're at the Nova Open this weekend. And um, I'm going to be honest with you, I'm, I'm loving everything I'm seeing here on the table. It looks like you guys have a nice mix of LED custom cut stencils and um, decal kits. That's right. So why don't you tell me a little bit more about Fallout Fallout Hobbies? Well, we started out with the idea of uh, you know, streamlining the process so say. We see a lot of guys in clubs and uh, you know, not tournaments, but clubs and basements playing with great minis Sure. and uh, we've been modelers since we were kids. Uh, My friend Ron, who started Fallout, he started out with Star Trek kits when he was 10 years old. Okay. Uh, he still does them <laughs> on and off uh, Starship models and uh, he well, actually nice flat panels on Starships Those are yeah like, exactly yeah. Aztec patterns and right. all kinds of decals and um, the hobby's always been very garage kit based at least with Star Trek and sure. there were a few people that used to do customs uh, you know decals but you know that was back in the day and a lot of these guys already got phased out and uh, he always wanted to you know, bring his own patterns. He's a graphic designer at the same time, and he does all this work himself. And he wanted to bring the nice patterns and nice designs to the hobby, especially wargaming. I got him into wargaming in 2001, but I've been into it since like '93. So he he sort of designs uh, a lot of what I'm seeing here. Is that exactly, here? yeah. Okay, a lot of it they're his designs. Yeah. Uh, we don't really try to copy. 
Now, when you say Aztec design, what do you mean by that exactly? Oh, that was the Aztec design is the pattern on starships, especially oh, okay. Federation ships, so, which kind of looks like a digi camo uh-huh. in a way. If you ever look very closely on the Enterprise, sure. it has these like kind of they call it the Aztec pattern because okay. it's very square based. I see, and it's I very see. subtle. And people so, used to do that with uh, with pencil outlines and just oh. doing it by hand. So it's meant to look kind of like, I guess, metal plates that are all pushed together, that kind of thing. Yeah, but it's actually a Federation pattern awesome. that all starships kind of share. That's really cool. I didn't know that. Yeah. That's the news. So in addition to the Aztec pattern, I'm also seeing stuff like, uh, it looks like digital camo. Uh, very Yeah, we got know. some shard camo. Right. We got two variants of digital and we even have, just on these wings, we've got some Demon Prince wings here, and they're kind of like textured, like scales. or. Yeah, or, we have a lot of organic lines. Yeah. We have uh, reptile skin. We have magma stone, which just kind of looks like a, like a patio. But nice. it's great for, you know, looking like lava is peeking through. So with like a lot of these vehicles, these flat areas, mm-hmm. people that aren't even like necessarily pro painters, they can achieve quick results well and fast. Exactly, but with our vinyl stencils, you're not just limited to flat areas. Nice. They are They are... You know, self-adhesive, very low-tech. They're basically like vinyl stickers. Nice. And you're able to cover weird areas, like rounded edges. Let's talk about the uh, LEDs a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. Because I'm looking at this um, uh, Razor Wing, and Mm -hmm. I think this is probably the most clever idea I've seen for LEDs in a while. It looks like maybe Christmas lights got shoved in there. No, these are actually um, custom-designed, 3D-printed clear pieces. Amazing. So they kind of look like thrusters. Exactly. Uh, Yeah. And you can do all kinds of effects on them. If you put some kind of ink on it or some kind of highlights, you can even make the jets look, you know, very alive. Very cool. But yeah, um, we have those. We have uh, new gemstones for Eldar. Yeah. So you're kind of combining a couple different mediums. You're combining like 3D printing. That's amazing. Um, plus you've got the LEDs and you put them together for, for even a better impact. Yeah. And, you know, everybody has different ideas how to light their models. And even when you look at this Onager right here, we have all kinds of ground effects. Yeah. We have grill peek-throughs, some clear rods who are eliminated. We also have fiber optics that come with two of our kits, the vehicle kit and the terrain kit. And the so, batteries in these cases, like on this Onager Dune Crawler, is actually nestled right into the base. Yeah, we just build like a little box. Yeah. I have a top cover for it. But so you can hide it when it's in yeah, play. Yeah, exactly. A lot of times, you know, when you have a, a big statue... Like the Imperial statue, which this one has a custom skull on it. But, yeah, I like it. Very Skeletor. Mentally. But yeah, a lot of people always ask us, you know, they don't necessarily always think about, you know, they might already have a put-together model. They didn't think about how to how to weed the cables through. Sure. And on something like that, it's just as easy as building up a little pedestal and yeah. hiding a night bolt in there. It's kind of like reverse engineering. They have to think two steps ahead. Well, we also, the LED kits are also kind of going in line with our whole attitude about everything. It's all about streamlining, about getting a quick effect fast yeah. and very easily without, you know, think we want to get more people into airbrushing. Yeah. I think a lot of people are afraid of airbrushing for, sure. for many different reasons, sure. whether it's some kind of, it's a steep learning curve or they don't know how to maintain it or, so bottom line is that the LED kits are going in line with that where everything is pre-wired. All our LEDs are pre-wired for 9 volt. Okay. You don't need any resistors. You don't need any boards. Okay. Uh, if you have see a blinking LED, that that's an actual LED that blinks on its own. And you know all our kits come with a battery clip and a switch. So so it's easy to wire. Yeah, you don't even have, you don't have to really solder them. You can twist them together. Sure. If you want to get fancy and if you have a very intricate scheme, then soldering is probably good. But yeah, you don't have to do that. So we, we're trying to make it easy. For people to get into it that otherwise would think that it's very involved and complicated. and 
they would think the learning curve is steep, but actually you've lowered the learning curve to make it more accessible. Exactly. Just like the stencils, just like the decals. Um, with the stencils, you can get amazing effects in, in, in fraction of the time. Yeah, some of these are really eye-popping. And, and uh, uh, I mean, I'm guessing that people with a little practice could be able to do this on their own without much difficulty. Absolutely. It's just a, it's just a little, you know, we have YouTube channels with a couple of videos on there. We are adding them all the time so people can actually see how he's applying them, okay. how to handle them. Uh, you know, so as long they... as you're careful, those stencils are reusable. So they can find out more about this at followedhobbies.com. That's right. And we have from uh, there. all our social media links on there. Great. Uh, follow us on Instagram. We like to feature a lot of work that okay. we see all the time from people so that use So if people stencils. use your product, they send you some pictures, you might feature it. Exactly, yeah. Very cool. We, we like well-lit shots. Yeah, sure, <laughs> sure, sure. Well, the LEDs will help. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, all right, well, thank you for your time this morning. I really yeah, appreciate man. it. You're welcome. Thanks very much, Simon. Appreciate it.